I love that Beta Reno gave us a health advisory <laughs> to bl- drink plenty of water while discussing all of these books. Like, stay hydrated. And it's true. There's a few. There's a few. Well, it's so many. So many. And, and so many of them were like really good. Yeah. It's a lot. Some of them weren't. Wah, wah. <laughs> Welcome to the XY Podcast. I'm Alicia. And I'm just there. boatload of books more than you expected yeah justin said seven i thought he meant seven total nope he meant seven x books seven fall of x seven fall of x books yes my b and plus an infinity comic so that's 10 and predator vs wolverine and doomsday but i mean yeah Ah, ah, 10 ah. comics give us the official list i don't want to be stammering around yeah 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 so we have x-men unlimited which is our digi number 110 then our tangies, we have Predator versus Wolverine, number two. X-Men, Days of Future Past, Doomsday, number four. Realm of X, number three. Alpha Flight, number three. Miss Marvel, The New Mutant, number three. Uncanny Avengers, number three. Wow. Jean Grey, number three. Uncanny Spider-Man number two. Odd Man Out. And Dark X-Men number three. Bunch of threes. Wow, wow, wow. Wow. But before, we have a very small portion of... The news! News, 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 Dooms, X-Men. Ooh, Dooms, X-Men. Oh, that was exciting to see the preview art of X-Men 29... And some character sheets of these characters, yes. these new mutants, Latvian mutants, I assume. We don't know a whole lot about who they are or where they're from, but the Fantastic Four and X-Men miniseries back at the start of Krakoa did split this idea of like, no, my the mutants of Latveria are still welcome here. Mm. Yes, and also, that's true. Also, I don't want them to leave. They are a national resource. Doom was like, I need those babies. They are my people. But we got... Not only a couple pages, full pages, colored of art from the issue itself, but some design sheets for Nerium, Slag, and Volta. And when Josh posted the Volta design, he He called her Volta Doom. Volta Doom, which she was already my favorite of the three designs and potentially of the five characters in that lineup. Uh, and then that was just... That's a sneaky tidbit. Yeah, I wonder so many things. Right, is she a child of doom? Adopted. Adopted. Married to. Ooh, yeah, right. That's a a very exciting lot of things. Yeah. But apparently there's some some chatter or reaction to slag. Oh. The name. Mm. Uh, And I was like, nobody outright said it. But I looked it up. Slag has, you know, we all know what slag is. It's kind of like molt, molten steel. Or... Oh, did we Did we all know what that was? Because you said that and I looked at you like, oh, really? We do? Please explain for those of us who do not. But there is a British slang word, slag, that means a woman with a lot of sexual partners. And oh. I don't think that's, that's definitely what... not what it's supposed to be. No, he's a guy. Uh, but he's, he's a big burly guy. So who knows? 
from Doom's X-Men to Brevort's X-Men. Oh. We got into this a little bit on the Patreon episode. Yeah, we After did. we had recorded last week, there was another newsletter from Tom. And talking about the, I don't want to call it minutia, but the details of X-Men stories in their character arcs and how he's, he's admitting some overwhelmed feelings. And, and the more I thought about it, talked about it with a couple people over the week, you know, is this just like the gap he, he had tweeted, like, oh, man, Krakoa, who would want to follow that as he's going to actively follow it? Like, is this just the intentional, hey, we're going to we're going to put the guy that is the seasoned company man who has no real connection to the X-Men franchise and he's going to maybe mess it up. And who knows? Ooh, and no. then and then we're going to do something on the other side as we figure it out. What do you mean he's going to maybe mess it up? That is a possibility. Not mess it up, like change everything drastically, but... I don't know. I just... Okay, there's multiple things, right? He's not alone. Sure. So there are other people to sort of bounce, bounce off ideas of. off of. And I also wonder, like, in other situations, like, let's talk about... He works on the Avengers, right? Mm-hmm. So let's talk about the Avengers. How frequently do the Avengers change their looks, change their hair, you know, like change their relationships? I feel like they don't. They're often in the same outfits or slight variations. So, like, the conversation we were talking about came from someone saying something about Storm's hair. Storm's hair and, and outfit. outfit, yep. right? So, he he said, oh, that never crossed my mind because it's not something he's had to think about before. Sure. And you're taking a group. This is where it's, like, a little touchy, right? Like, everybody finds a connection to whatever superhero that they follow the strongest because they are connected to them in some way. They have similar moral values. They see themselves in them. They're someone they hope they could be, whatever the case may be. But with mutants, there is a very strong metaphor of the other. And so mutant fans, I feel like, take their relationships with their characters a little bit more personally. Maybe not, because I know Spider-Man fans also take their relationships very very seriously. But... Just thinking about, like, you have to think about these characters in a different way. And I also think instead of him saying, oh, well, I don't care about that. Sure. You know, he said, oh, that's not something I had thought of before. So, whoa, okay, let me let me take a step, step back and think about all the things I have to add in. So, at first, when we were talking about it on the Patreon, I was really scared. And now I feel still scared, but a little bit more trying to be open to the idea that, like, I remember myself coming in, not knowing anything about the X-Men, and yep. feeling really overwhelmed. And so if we just continue that that same mindset where, like, everybody embraced me and helped me and all of that, like maybe the people at the X office and, and the fans and everyone can just embrace that there's so much X-continuity and it's going to take someone a long time to do it. And you can't expect that every person that comes into that job knows all the things about all the characters. Sure, sure, sure. So what you're saying is that Tom should listen to our podcast. Yes, totally. He should dive in. He should become ex-educated from your journey. That would be great. You know, I asked a a question to him. He answers some of his questions on the next week's Mm -hmm. newsletter. Who knows? But it was a question of like, what are the strategies that you're using to familiarize yourself with this character continuity? Oh, good question. With some other like lead in and points and kind of reactions to specific characters that he called out of Storm 
and her look and her hair being reminiscent of the badass time of her character revolution in the 80s. And Rockslide specifically was called out in uh, another person's question. Like, Long where? Slide. We should, right. And that was the point that I brought up. was like, well, people want to know where Rockslide will land because he was effectively killed and written over as part of the Krakoan era. Yes, yes. Basically, I'm just angling myself as a resource and You're saying like, like, hey, Listen, you know, Tom, Tom hey. You what, need some help, man? Some, some remote guy to just look at continuity and, and community. And Happy to be that guy for you. Mutant representative. <laughs> Giant size X-Men. Yeah. Giant size X-Men. What about it? It's celebrating an anniversary next year. Oh. The 50th year of the giant size imprint. And so they are going to have giant size one shots across the lines of comics. So an X-Men one, a Spider-Man one, a couple others. There are new covers that debuted the other day that feature their variants. And they feature all of like the classic rogues from each franchise. So we posted on Thursday... The Silver Age lineup of X-Men villains. And the entire time I'm like, Chad is going to lose his mind over this. He's going to mm-hmm. love it. Yeah, he will love that. I mean, to to veer off the X-Men path for a second. To what? Ultimate Spider-Man. Oh, Jiminy Crickets. Was announced with more detail this week. And, and the world erupted in joy. Just one big happy family. That is all... The fans have been crying for over the last couple of years, ever since One More Day, really, is to just put them back. Well, we're putting them back, but we're not putting them back in the regular 616, so... You're not getting it in the main line. You're getting it in this brand new Ultimate Universe that the Maker created. Right, so I feel like there's going to be there's gonna be some sass flying about... So, what what shouldn't shouldn't be happening? So many people are like, I can't wait until it outsells ASM. Oh man! And you know, like that would be an ironic twist. And uh, Nick Lowe, the editor who is you know stood by the mm-hmm. editorial decisions, if not made some of them, he was like, wait, they're doing what in the Ultimate Universe? Oh god, <laughs> Just, I know because he's such a ham about stuff. Yeah, I do enjoy like his attitude with things and yeah. seeing him at panels. He was really fun at the panel, like yeah. when he like took off his jacket to reveal the spider-man shirt and then was like but wait i also have a yellow blazer yeah 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 he gets a lot of flack sadly but that's just part of the game are you ready to tell the world your personal news my personal news yeah sure i'm ready so i have Uh, I just actually just posted some stuff on Instagram last night and this morning. I've had this idea in my head for a really long time that I wanted to do a gender bend scar costume. I've just thought about it for a while and I've been like, you know, I want to do that. And then recently it had kind of floated out of my mind for a bit and then was thinking about what I was going to wear to this Halloween party that we didn't end up going to. And I decided, oh my gosh, I have my contacts for my Erica Slaughter cosplay. I can do this. Let's do it. So I got a couple little pieces added to some things I already had. And I put it together last night just to make some content. And then I couldn't take it off. I just sat around and took lots of pictures and videos of myself and stared at myself for a while because I was like, wow, this is exactly how I pictured it in my head. (laughs) And it was such a fun moment, but also a little sad because it never saw the light of day. But that's all right. Maybe one day it will. There you go. 
What about you? What's your personal news? Honestly, I don't think I have anything really good. I've, I've been playing Spider-Man a lot. Mm-hmm. I've been going on walks and listening to D&D background music. I don't think I said that last week, but I also oh, can't right. remember. I've just gotten really into just like background sounds of D&D <laughs> adventures, and it feels like I'm on a quest every time I go on a walk. That's super fun. We went to a soccer game, which was like the most intensely, so our, our niece's soccer game yes. for senior night, most intensely I've ever watched a soccer game and to see things come together to see the differences in the defensive structure of the team like I'm not a big sports guy we yeah. all know that we joke about that <laughs> sports but I do enjoy the games when yeah. I can view them from the outside I, yes. especially in person yeah yeah it's funny when you said that to me I was just like what because my brother pl- played soccer growing up so I spent so much time at soccer tournaments watching and then i became this is why i get so invested yes you do then i get so i became so invested in the games we were like we i would bring like colored spray and spray paint the kids hair every single game to make them match their outfits and make signs and stand on the sidelines and scream things and it's like i don't even i don't know it's just whatever i'm in i am in it yeah once i'm there i'm invested uh, another, I guess, like none of these are like really feel resonant as personal news, but they're just like mm-hmm, anecdotes. Yeah, we went. I've been calling it couch surfing. Mm-hmm. We go to couch stores to pick out a new couch, and we went to this one store, and I just like the immediacy of every time I sat on a couch and how just awful it was. I could just tell looking at certain couches, like I'm not sitting on that. Yeah, that's gonna feel I, terrible. I felt like I wasted some of my sits, and then we went back to a store that we had already been to and we're like no this is the couch this is the one let's go it's coming tomorrow yay yay it's time for polls polls oh jeez i don't think i'm ready how do you how do we do this how do we talk about this there's three polls you know that right i so yeah so i saw you post the first ones and then i like was just like you know going through instagram stories and the podcast story came up and i just saw the words like like round two or something, and I was final like, four. no, I was like, ah, skip it, don't look at what they are. You didn't see who made it to the final no. four. I like to keep my answers fresh and honest. All right, so I will read you the options for the first two heats of okay. round one. Okay. All right. So heat one of round one: Dark X Men, Alpha Flight, Realm of X, Jean Grey. Okay. Well, Dark X Men and Jean Grey made it through. Who won? Dark X-Men. Percentage? Oh, gosh. 43. 47. Okay. 47, 38 for Jean Grey, 8 for Alpha Flight, and 7 for Realm of X. So those two knocked down. Okay, so earlier when I said you thought Alpha Flight was better than Realm of X and you said so did the people, 1% of people? Yes. And most of the comments. Whatever. Round 1, Heat 2. Okay. Uncanny Spider-Man, Miss Marvel, The New Mutant, and Uncanny Avengers. <sighs> Uncanny Spider-Man won. Yes, it did. By, okay, this is only three. So we'll say 58%. Still 47 again, which wow. I thought was interesting, yeah. Okay, then... Um, Miss Marvel or Avengers? You miss Marvel? Yeah. Wrong. Wrong. Avengers. Uncanny Avengers with 36%. There was a point where Miss Marvel was... Beating Avengers. Not really beating, but very close. Okay. And 
Yeah, I gotta be honest. You said put them in a randomizer and, and put them in the yeah, things. Yeah, you didn't. I didn't do that because if I did that, then one of my one of the books that I wanted to be in that's the that's freaking <laughs> cheating. That is rigging the system. No, it's not. Yes, it is. I mean, maybe if I put so if I put Dark X Men, Jean Grey, and Uncanny Spider Man in the same round, then one of those three who is clearly one of the top books would have gotten eliminated. And that's unfair to that book. Because then because then you'd have like... Because your bias said... Because your bias said that other books were bad, you should have put them in a randomizer. I did, in my heart. Oh, God. Whatever. All right, so the top four <laughs> were Dark X-Men, Jean Grey, Uncanny Avengers, and Uncanny Spider-Man. Yep. Who won of the four? Dark X-Men. What's the percentage? <sighs> Percentage is 52%. 36. <laughs> it was actually really close in the top three. 36 for Dark X-Men. 29 for Jean, Jean Grey. Grey. 24 Uncanny for Uncanny Spider-Man. Uncanny and Avengers. 11 for Uncanny Avengers. You're so mad. Yeah, I'm mad because people are hating on Realm of X. I mean... The art did it no favors this month. Well, that's what... Yeah, okay, but it's not... That's not the story's fault. Yeah, the story was also... Shh. Fine. <laughs> All right, let's talk about <laughs> X-Men Unlimited. Ugh. Well, X-Men Unlimited is great. Fire. Literal fire. Sunfire everywhere. So great. So Sunfire has, in this issue, sort of escaped his hold, is, is fighting back, is... Take tearing down the facility and Moira's just PO'd. She's like, Sunfire, what the heck? And, you know, she's ordering Orcus people around, get things out of here that we can't replace quickly. Laughing at just how sad it is that Sunfire's there to save Red Root. And then slices Red Root off her base and stabs Sunfire with, with Red Root. Yeah. That was that's insane. where we end the story. This was all out action. The entire like this was the build, right? Mm -hmm. What we were waiting for. And this has been stellar all throughout. Mm -hmm. But to actually see Moira with I don't know if I'd call it characterization, but character moments. Like there's no real depth of I'm an evil robot lady right. and I hate mutants. You know, that's we know. We Right. <laughs> we read Inferno. Right. Actually no, we read X Deaths. We read everything yes. to get to this point. But yeah, that last image of Moira stabbing Red yeah. Root into Shiro. Oh, the Shiro. art also yeah. in this comic is stellar. Yeah, Lynn Yoshi. Good stuff. Killing it. Written by Steve Fox and Steve Orlando. Art by Lynn Yoshi. Colors, Fersi Fuente Sujo. Letters, Travis Lanham. This is Travis Lanham. I think we got one more. Oof. Um, to wrap it out because we're rooting. We're, we're, we're rooting, rooting for, for Shiro. Yeah. I think that... Red Root and Shiro are going to become one. Ooh, that's interesting. I'm excited. I don't want this to end. No, I know. I want this to be its own book. Well, it has to end sometime. I like, don't. There's so many, so many people in the comments were like, hey, some of these minis really should just be ongoings. We all love them. I, but I also feel like if they were ongoings, then people would be like, what is the point? Why is it still going? This uh, story is over. I don't know about that, but maybe. Like which ones? Dark X-Men, Uncanny Avengers, Uncanny Spider-Man. All right. 
you agree that those should be ongoings or or at least have a lot of legs even uh miss marvel had some some people talking about yeah. it too that yeah those are good and they have a lot of narrative potential to mm-hmm. continue those stories you know jean gray is going to be wrapped after the four Iceman, i'm done with already you know like th- these right. stories realm of x is very a moment in time solving this problem for this group but yeah let's talk before we get into the, the tangies yes we have a handful of general points oh. general general things all right fake torta liked most of the issues this week but this structure with many minis really makes most of them feel without big stakes mm-hmm. right and it's kind of off of what we were just talking about is this because you know it's going to end immediately and and you know lasting ramifications in comics are limited so is that just giving it so it's just going to wipe away and no longer be there. Yeah, I feel that. I, I I would agree with that. There were definitely some issues that I felt like I maybe would feel differently about, but but they don't feel like their stakes are very high or like it doesn't, the, the resolution of this is not going to have a major world impact. Yeah, right. It would have a character story impact, which is a lot of right. what X-Men is. Right. Warline calling out, this should not be the fall of X, but the rise of relationships. Pietro and M, Tony and Emma, Sable and Kurt, that's more relationships and dynamics we've got now than we've got since House of X, Powers of Ten. Well, you know, people form trauma bonds and they need companions in times of turmoil. So It's true. Trauma bonding. You know. Yeah. They're feeling really down. They need something to pick them up. Heart, love. Future Dogwalker pointing out that Storm showed up in the last page of Al's Immortal Thor. They were asking if it would make it oh. into the stack. Oh. Uh, it was just the last page, and it was just leading in that Thor would like to talk to the goddess of thunder. Ooh. But maybe, maybe issue four will appear. We'll see. I've been burned by random appearances in other books yeah. before. It's the same thing with Monet being on the cover of that Black Panther issue coming up. Right. We'll see. What is that about? We'll see. J-Matt Art says it's about time for a new Cable solo series. OG Cable, not that Bieber Cable. Not that Bieber Cable. Which, like, I love that in terms of an alternative to Babel. Like, Bieber Cable. Bieber Cable. But it's both of them, just so we're clear. Yes. The mini that's coming up written by Fabian Nicieza is about the two of them because they are both here. Baby Cable is still captured by Orcus when we last saw him. That's right. And we didn't know that OG Cable had been previously captured by Orcus. But they were both captured by Orcus. One of them is free. One of them is free now. Captain 2 Michael wonders... What hero needs a pet? Give Emma a cat. A cat? No. (laughs) Well, you hate cats. I don't hate cats. I hate cats. If she had a snow leopard, I would take it. Okay, that's not a cat. Sure it is. What do you mean? Sure. It's in the cat family, but it is not a house cat. I don't care. I think Deadpool and a monkey would be amazing. They're too similar. Sure. Yeah, that's the point. I mean, Gambit has his cats. Gambit and Rogue. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't think Spider-Man could handle an animal just because of all the other things pulling his responsibilities. Can't handle a family either, so. Ooh, burn. That's rough. I mean, I like that 
Kitty has Lockheed, and that's right. not really a pet. I mean, like, I'm like, get Danny Moonstar a horse, like when she was a Valkyrie. Sure. Get it, yeah. get, it, get that back. Yeah. And, um, I mean, Jeff is just everyone's friend. Everybody's. Yeah. It'd be cool if, like, Wolverine had, like, a wolf hunting dog. Well, so there was, there was a dog in the Pets book that came out this mm-hmm. week, and Michael and I were talking about. And he thought that it was a, a Wolverine dog because it kind of looks like Wolverine, but it's actually a D-Man's, D-Man's dog. Ah. Which D-Man, I, I had labeled the Doom's X-Men, like, are these the agents of Doom? Are mm-hmm. they the D-Men? And then D-Man would have to be up about copyright infringement. <laughs> Someone said the Doom Patrol, which DC would have to be up about copyright infringement. Yeah, we'd be in trouble. Yeah, all of it. Love it. Are you ready to talk about the Tangies? Yes. Let's talk about the Tangies. They are going to be all high level. Little little uh, summaries, you know. Not even really summary, like like talking about the main points, talking yeah, about what, the big what is ideas. This book about. Well, I like a summary. What if they didn't read it, and they're coming to us to know his face? He's upset. I've thwarted his plans. No summaries, everybody. Throw them out. Predator versus Wolverine. Look at that cover. I I really enjoy this. It's just it's just a fun classic Wolverine slash him up throughout time. Like this feels like Ben flexing all of his muscles that he's been working on. Right? It's Wolverine. He's he's got all the details of his history. You've inserted this retconned story of the Predators being there the whole time. I love how so we're in Team X territory mm-hmm. for a majority of this issue, and Wolverine has a weapon from the Predators, but does not remember why or what it's from because right. of how many times they've been erased they've and reprogrammed. Been wiping his mind, those Weapon X people, those Weapon Plus people, which is actually where we end the issue. Wolverine in his state of testing. And the Predator finding him, looking over him. Yes, I've got two things I want to say. One, I really like seeing this the dynamic of uh, Team X where Sabretooth and Wolverine are on the same team. And Wolverine's yeah. like giving orders and Sabretooth's like, I'm not listening to your orders. I have a big gun. <laughs> I'm Sabretooth. I'm going over here. I do what I want. Second, um, who's Jackson? Who knows? They're dead. you never seen them before? Uh, I don't know if I, I mean, I've only read Team X very limited amount of times. They've only had a very limited amount of appearances and then they showed up in the animated series, but no, they do not ring a bell. I was like, who's this lady? Fodder for death. And the other thing that I thought was an interesting line of dialogue was when Predator comes into the Weapon X facility and they're like afraid of yeah. Predator, but then they say, How do we- How, what, what would happen if this was ours? Because that is the Weapon X philosophy. And I was like, How do we uh, manipulate no, thank this? Thank you, Weapon X. Sure, yeah. This was written by Benjamin Percy, art by Ken Lashley in the present day, Andrea DeVito in the Team X storyline, and Hayden Sherman in the Weapon X storyline. Color art Juan Fernandez in the present day in Team X. Alex Guimaraes for the Weapon X. Letters all over by Corey Petit. This is Corey Petit. Marco Coquetto on that cover. What did you think about this? You didn't really like the first one. You were upset. 
I feel similarly about this one. <laughs> okay. I think it's like I it's not that it's a bad comic by any means. It's just not a story that I'm like right. interested in because I don't feel like it's progressing any plot points forward. So it's, it's not. just like like you said, a slash 'em up Wolverine story and that's not my that's it, not my comics. It's like patch but yeah. through time. Right. And, and like I, that's great. Like I'm sure tons of like tons of people love this. And nobody loves Realm of X, and I'm just on the opposite <laughs> side. I like Realm of X, and I'm fine with this. So it's okay. I mean, like, I think that I will say I continue to feel that Ben Percy has a great voice for Wolverine, and I love the, like, inner dialogue kind of struggle with figuring out, like, why he's here and and what's happening. And I think as far as, like, action goes, there's a lot of really great action and really beautiful art. And I think getting to connect more and more to this idea that there's so much of Wolverine that he doesn't know, but yeah. then like things come confront him and he's like, Oh, another thing from my past that I'm not, not fully sure I understand, which also adds to the turmoil of the situation because mm-hmm. like he's reacting based on that moment, but he doesn't really know like what he and this oppo- opposing force have done in the past so is he making the right decision i think like you know narratively that's very interesting um it's a good comic yeah it just if i wasn't reading it for the pod it wouldn't be one that i would just pick up on my own well sure sure it's interesting so it was book of the month last month right right in so terms what I'm of saying. sales people love this stuff yeah uh, I was talking at the shop and the guy next to me picked it up because he loves predator not mm-hmm. because he cares about wolverine which I don't care what you picked it up for. He picked it up. He picked it up. And that's great because that's exactly what something like this is going to do, especially with that 20th Century Fox imprint on the side. Yeah. This is new territory. And when we were at New York Comic Con and we were talking to Ben Percy, he is really excited about it and like really excited to continue like the possibilities of continue writing it. And he was like, I don't know what will happen, but I have lots of ideas, yeah, you know. Yeah. So that's you know that it's going to be a good time when the person writing it is super excited about writing it, you know. Exactly. I need to do, before we continue, if we're going to be going high level on these, I need to do an honorary page turn noise for all of this week's comics. Yeah, you do. So here we go. Page turn noise. Now, time for the end of Doomsday. Oh, man. Oh, man. I really like this. I did, too. I Yeah, I mean, it's no secret that Days of Future Past is my favorite classic X-Men story. And especially this issue, you know, there were a lot of this issue that just felt like, am I reading the original story or? That's how I feel when I read Jean Grey. Sure. And I'm like, why am I reading this? Well, those stories you haven't actually read. So that's different. Yeah. I'll talk about my particular uh, mindset when reading this, this week's Jean Grey when we get there. But I liked it because I... Don't think I actually read Days of Future Past, but you we went we through it. it. So I had moments where I was like, "Ooh, this this happened, and this is this is the connection point. This yeah, is yeah. where it's all coming together." So for me, those moments were exciting. Yeah, it was like additional context to that story and retelling it, so framing it with new information, which I thought was really great. This is like sneaking in the parts for the devices that would shut down their collar, shut down the tracking. 
and allow for this jailbreak. Yes, and like you know the the connection between Forge and Storm, and when he oh, decides yeah. to you know stay there and sort of sacrifice his freedom for the good of the cause, and he says, "Tell Storm I love her." Well, the fact that Sink and Talon are here and yes. seemingly together. Yes, Sink and Talon. I saw them in the art, and then I said, Justin, is that Sink and Talon? And then I turned the page, and it said, Sink and Talon. And I was like, <laughs> oh, yes, it is. Um, a couple things I had questions on because I didn't remember from the original. So I know, obviously, right, she goes back, and, and she, she does what she does, and they don't fully succeed in stopping the madness, but they they thwart the death, but the madness still ensues in the attack. Um, but does... In the original Days of Future Past, do we see what happens when Kitty goes back to her future? We do not. So So to see that at the end, yeah, yeah that is interesting. That's what I was like, wait, it didn't actually do anything? Like, that's crazy. Well, well, so the reason it doesn't do anything is because this becomes a separate Earth branch. So this is Earth 811. So it's not. And that's the debatable way of how time travel works. Are you resetting or redoing events or are you creating a branch timeline mm. especially watching loki and, and all of that what is that creating in storytelling so rachel who only exists as one instance throughout time right only exists in this world until she just randomly happens to find her way to the 616 in early new mutants i think new mutants right 20. but she doesn't exist in that other timeline anymore right well, because she was never born in the 616 and she only, like, she knows her parents from here. And I was like, wait, wait, my parents aren't married together and they, they have a son instead of a daughter. Like, what is everything? Yes. Yeah. So I thought it was both sad, but also cool that even though they didn't change time and they didn't win, they still somehow become this cool team of oh yeah i also think it's a little bit weird to me that kate has reverted back to her kitty costume for sure that was a weird art choice at the end especially because she's kind of iconically in that green jumpsuit but maybe that's yeah. like her prison uniform and she doesn't want to wear that maybe yeah. maybe it's the connection to her past self that makes her want right. to bring back that classic look but 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 <laughs> Tell me the only time I ever want to hear anyone say to me my X-Men is when Kate says it. Sure, sure. I was like, ooh, yeah. Yeah, you actually was were excited about that one. Yes, I was. And then we have this super cool team. We've got Kate, Talon, Bishop, Rachel, Sink, and Magneto. Yeah, that's a great team. Let's go. I would read the hell out of that book. Yeah. Honestly, Maybe you there could, will be more. You, they are setting it up so that you could do another miniseries about this team and what they're doing. Because now you're in new territory. And I would read that. I would too. I would read that so hard. This was written by Mark Guggenheim. Pencils by Manuel Garcia. Inks by Cam Smith. Colors, Yen Nitro. Letters, Clayton Coles. DC's Clayton Coles. Jeff Shaw and Edgar Delgado on the cover. Yeah, I'm sad to see it end. I mean, I'm not sad. I think it was a solid story and it yeah. kind of... It filled out a lot of nooks and crannies in that timeline, and I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I thought it was really great. I'm in. Uh, I'm Red X Baby said that X Men Doomsday can't hurt us anymore. <laughs> they did not enjoy this oh, story. No. 
but long live Magneto. At least Magneto turns out to be alive. And yes. Is, uh, that was amazing when, at the end. Yeah, because I remember finding out about that in the original story that he sort of like sacrifices himself. But then when he comes back and he has like made these metal braces for his legs and he's like, I'm here. I was like, yes, vindication. Yes. Magneto. Magneto. Vaderino calling Talon and Sync as OTP in every universe confirmed. So one true pair. Are they uh, always yeah. destined like, What's OTP? to be together? Mm. Interesting. Interesting. I also, so when we talked about it, I was like, is this a Sync and Talon that went through the vaults? Or did they just find themselves in some other way? I don't think that they would have seeing as this veered from that point. Right. This, this, this group did not have Krakoa. Right. They never got there. Is this when Moira, you know, is this one of Moira's other lives? You're getting to, sure. We don't know those answers. Don't know those answers. Don't need those answers. (laughs) You know what we need? What? Realm of X. Yeah, I really, I'm sad that people didn't like Realm of X. This is what I have to say. I really didn't like the art because I, I think that the art in its own self of like, it felt very much like an anime cartoon or like the Pokemon cartoon. Sure. You know? Just Or har- even One Piece. Yep. You know, like the eyes and all of that. The, which Really lacking in detail and, and hard lines. And- right. Which I think has, aesthetically has its place, but it just, in this particular story, it didn't, the art style did not sit well with me because I've much preferred the art that yeah. kind of has more of like the old world feel to it because of the setting of the story i really like the other artists that had been on the first two issues diogenes nevs um you know and and i always hate being like "Ah, i hate this art you know i am not capable of drawing this well and i'll admit that and so aesthetics and it's all subjective so if you really enjoyed it then that's great if this is a style that you know and resonate with that's great but for me, it wasn't so much that I didn't like that. I, if I would look at this art, I would be like, oh, I don't like this. I feel like it was that this art within this story, those two things together didn't go well. Sure. Like this art feels more like a. It reminded like, me of. Like has more of a comedic vibe to mm-hmm. it, which is not the tone of the story. It reminded me of the New Mutants Lethal Legion art mm. and, and that kind of tone where it's more of like kids adventure right and that's if it was in the book like that i feel like it would be great and so it's not so much that i'm like negative comments on the art just the fusion of this art style with this story style didn't feel good to me yeah i mean magic reaching curse in saturnine's castle inner or inner sanctum just kind of breaking through and and actually trying to solve that communication issue hey she's lying to you we've been out here trying to find you and she's hidden you right i mean i'm interested to know like what is it that you don't don't like about this story there are a couple things so i mean the first two issues and it might just be the art and just how pulling it out pulling you out of it yeah the first two issues i really did enjoy this one it felt off it felt like you know it gives the to go back to the point of miniseries and low stakes this of the miniseries feels the most like okay once we get to the final issue put a pin in this everybody will get back to Krakoa or back to earth and it'll be all over 
Saturday night, we'll go on to her next crazy scheme. She just feels really over the top here, too. I get where she's coming from in the sense that mm-hmm. she had everything taken from her in Otherworld and through Ten of Swords and from Merlin and all the, the Knights of X and things like that. So she's just trying to find something, but she feels like she feels like Silver Age bad guy. She feels like a mustache twirling bad guy, even though she doesn't have a mustache. Hmm. Interesting. I I like the team. I remember, you know, the first issue really enjoying the team and the team dynamic. Maybe it just was the art. Maybe it was the art and just the the cartooniness of the the conflict. And it's yeah, just because... it's just Saturnine's like I hate everything and I'm I'm trying to take everyone down. Well, that's literally every evil villain all the time. No, <laughs> that's every poorly developed evil villain that doesn't have like a good motivation. Well, so, okay, so I think it's interesting that she's bringing in soldiers from somewhere else and that there's this, like, idea that this energy that is in the center of this place is she's using as currency, even though she's not actually going to share it with them. Like, that's interesting that she's manipulating everyone around her to get what she wants. And if you think about this idea that, like, it's not just that she wants to take over everything. It's that she feels like she lost something and, and she... She's searching, like, she doesn't have an identity if she's not a ruler of a realm. So what she needs is to be a ruler of a realm. And I thought that the team got some some good action moments. Yep. And we got to see them, like, fighting together and, and using their powers and, and see, you know, dust uh, struggling. Oh, the, the piece of dust yeah, missing Yeah, like, now. what did Saturnine take from dust? I thought that that was really interesting. And then, you know, there's more of this... I, I really like this uh, this poem, this prophecy that has notes on it that I'm assuming were taken by magic. And I, why are you shaking your head? Because uh, at the top it says annotations by Frieder Frostborn. Okay, well then never mind. But just this idea that, you know, it's talking again about the four strangers. And then we get a little bit more about like, you know, one's fire, one's sand, one's... Yep. bone like all of that i thought was a cool connection to all of them and i'm still harping on the idea that i think that even though curse is an element that this like fifth being that's going to do some sort of change that that is magic well especially with the last page and yeah. how she seems to be tapping into the inner darkness the memories of experiences in limbo and that last panel with her eyes wide and black i'm interested to know what that means, where that could go, and you know, prove me wrong, Realm of X. Get me back on the bus because I really, I had this further in the stack mm-hmm. beginning. This issue in particular, I would agree with its placement here. Well, I also really like the the dynamic between curse and magic, and like how curse is being the petulant teenager. Well, she, yeah, and she's like being manipulated by Saturnine, so she. She takes that out on magic, but then she, you know, has a moment and goes back and she like she yells at Saturnine and she's like, Stop lying to me and then causes oh, yeah. Saturnine to expose herself. Right. She says, Stop telling lies. And I just feel like this thing that Saturnine thought was like going to be her weapon is now coming against her. Yeah. And she, the show the world who you are and then this orb around it. Maybe that's what breaks the magic maybe that's what magic is responding to in the last panel is that she finally has access to her magic because this shell is broken around the the palace yes i do i do think that there's a connection there but i also think it's this idea that like 
I really loved the connection to the idea that in limbo, magic was like pushed till, you know, f- find the find the magic in your fear, like find the magic in your darkness, you know, like and that as a character arc is is cool. And I think, you know, the complaint going for for the last couple issues has been, excuse me, has been that, you know, magic is this very strong, powerful character. And like, why is she just sad in the background? And now she's like tapping into the thing that people love so much, which I love so much, which is like her slightly evil darkness, which I'm really excited to see where that goes. So I don't know. I'm sad that people don't like it that much. But you know, that's my own personal opinion. Yeah. I mean, Vaderino loves this for magic. She did with no powers what everyone else could not. The fact that she got through and mm-hmm. was able to reach curse and, and to, to scale the... And and having no powers is the only reason that she could do that because she could go in undetected. Sure. So something that was a disadvantage proved to be an advantage. Future Dogwalker couldn't get through Realm of X. The art threw them off. And that was always something as a kid reading, if I wasn't into the art, I Mm -hmm. couldn't read the book. I just, I needed to have something visually entertaining me. Blonde China is unfortunately so underwhelmed by Realm of X when he was so stoked for it. And I'm just, I'm hoping we'll we'll turn the bus around for issue three and I'll get back on. Issue four. Issue four, yeah. I'll get back on all the positive feels that I had in the first two. Maddie Bond's most painful thing from this week was watching Realm of X go off the cliff. It fell off before, but now with the art, the voices are the least of its problems. Why is Saturnine such a caricature? Why has she switched her focus from Otherworld to Vanaheim? I can admit I have some hope in the last page intrigue, desperately hoping it all pans out. And I think, you know, her, her focus on Vanaheim, she's just looking for something to have mm-hmm. a foothold to build strength back up because right. she's been knocked down. Right. And this is a much smaller scale version of what she was used to. How do I use what resources and forces that I have access to to generally build my power? Uh, she is a caricature for sure. And she's just kind of like angry woman, death to all, success to me. I just feel like she's always been that way. Like it didn't to me read like a huge change in her character because I feel like That's fair. That's just that that's who she is and I think I got over the fact that like oh we're doing Saturnine as a villain again. Well, she's more games in everything else. Like she's more she's less like ah ha ha and more like well that's just what you're going to have to do. Hmm. Fake Torta saying they did realm dirty with the art. Two artists in a five issue mini was iffy but issue 3 was not on par. I think, you know, that I felt it as I was reading it Mm -hmm. and, you know, that, and it's interesting because then I look at this last page and the style doesn't bother me here. Right. And I don't know if it's, if it's just the tiny dots of eyes and the lack of detail in the facial structures that was throwing me, but like Belasco looks great. Yeah. This past shot looks great. The, the mystery of Ilyana, like, okay, yeah, I'm still buying issue four. I'm still going to read it excitedly and find what happens next Mm -hmm. this issue is called violence on the western front first blood spilled written by torun grombeck art by bruno Oliveira. colors rain barretto letters clayton coles Coles. stephanie hans on the cover i mean the cover was amazing Mm -hmm. and and really touches into danny reaching out to the valkyrie side and the other gods i wonder if that'll play into future issues 
Well, I think now that the dome is broken, like yeah. maybe that's part of why she couldn't get in touch with them is they couldn't actually hear her because Magic. Saturnine was keeping everything enclosed. Are you ready for Alpha Flight? Yeah, Alpha Flight. I mean, Alpha Flight was also fine. Mm-hmm. We've got, you know, our our Alpha Flight team. The, the fight, the big box sentinel versus. Right. Well, that's not the Alpha Flight team. That's the... The mutant subgroup yeah, of the, former Alpha Flight members. Krakoa North Squad. Sure. Um, you know, and, and the Alpha Flight team having their inner conflict of, should we have listened to, you know the headquarters or should we have just gone on with the mission because clearly they need us which i thought was interesting because in the last issue i was like wow those mutants are destroying those box sentinels really really quickly and then in this issue all of a sudden the sentinels were having the upper hand well they at least i don't know that i'd say that they had the upper hand but they didn't get annihilated right because they were getting left and right taken down even just by feedback right as the one and then the four other mutants came in and we're actually doing something well. Three other mutants and nemesis. As mm-hmm. we get the reveal behind the mask that I called. Yes. Very excited, but yes. also you know we had some people that were like it's kind of underwhelming just because I feel like we expected that or knew it was coming or Justin predicted it. We've got an angry director. I love the line of like I can't do my job if you keep yelling at me while we're trying to control the box sentinels and and this. This director of, uh, what is it, Department H? Yep. She's just not having it. Nobody's doing their job well enough. And, you know, the mutants are escaping. They've teleported out. We've got to get to them. I like the damage report yep. on the Sentinels and this idea that, like, how they're improving the them. Sentinels themselves are not, like, uh, generating fixes, but we're kind of going back to the drawing board of, like, how do we change them? And it was cool to see, like, you know, fix the joints with adamantium or right, right, right. something like that. How to see them evolve. Yeah. And the restlessness of Krakoa North, especially with Argent or Laurent as they no longer want to be here oh and they feel gosh. like they're trapped. Yeah. I feel like that's an interesting subplot, which, you know, to its credit in this story, there are the main plot and the interesting subplot of Krakoa North in Shandalar mm-hmm. and then everything with Nemesis, Heather. And, you know, I feel like it has some things working with it. I do think it's interesting that this Laurent, like, wants to go home. Like, then just let them go home. Like, I understand, like, you know, you're doing this for their own safety. But if they don't want to be saved, like, there's only so much you can do. It's true. And and it's interesting in comparison to Dark Mm X-Men, where Marisol is left to be able to do. Right. I think the... The damaging element here is the fact that Laurent has been to Krakoa North and if they were captured and tortured and or, you know, mind scanned or they could find that intel, they could use that against him. Like they have tons of ways of manipulating anyone. I don't know. Yeah, it just feels a little. I mean, like I feel Laurent's anger of like, okay, you're saying this isn't a prison, but you're not letting me leave and you're not letting me make my own choice. And if I wanted to be saved by you, I would, but I'm not interested. And so that's an interesting kind of statement of, well, what would happen to you if you went out? Okay, we're doing this for your own good. Isn't that what everybody says before they turn evil? Sure. You know? And poor Kyle. Like, yeah, I'm, I I'm can't just a, do this I'm by just myself. I'm just a guy trying to keep the peace, y'all. 
And the interesting feedback story of mm. so feedback having appeared in Steve Orlando's Marauders as apparently now a clone of right. feedback and being he used as this, this power cell to then be able to escape and be free and yes yeah. he cloned himself so he could go have a regular life but that didn't work out this issue is titled rescue mission is divided we stand part three written by ed brisson art by scott godlowski Colors Matt Miller, letters Travis Lanham, PCs Travis Lanham, Leonard Kirk and Edgar Delgado on the cover. What do you think? Divided We Stand Part Four is the Krakoan. Um, Take fate into your own hands is Realm of X's Krakoan. Oh. Maybe I'll cut that back in, mm. or maybe I'll just leave it here. Oh, that's interesting. Um, okay, what did I think? What did I think? I, for me. This book feels very low stakes. Oh, yeah. Well, yes. I mean, like, I understand that the uh, the struggle is a continuation of the the main mutant fall story. You know, the fall yeah. of X situation where we need to get the mutants to safety and we're, we're fighting. But I think it's, it's harder for me to feel the stakes when uh at least half the characters are characters that i'm not really like connected to sure i think the alpha it, flight side right i think it's interesting alpha flight sort of struggle but i'm really like like when snowbird's like let's just freaking go help them like i'm like all right now guardian when you guys go this time you're just gonna be like okay f you department age like we're gonna go do our own thing now like i'm done pretending that i'm on your side right. i'm not gonna be your puppet like, anymore there's one issue left like you know Show up, bro. You said you were going to. You said that you were actually on our side. And so far, all you've done is sort of help a little bit. But then when your mom calls, you go back and you just are like, yeah, I'm going to do this because I can't make waves. There are two more issues. Okay, well, I would still like to see Alpha Flight step it up. Yeah, for sure. I would too. And especially, you know, it's a lot of riding on the timing of when they can make the one jump to Chandelar, right? Mm Mm-hmm. And not wanting to blow that, not want to blow their cover. But at the same time, if you go here and then come back empty handed, like what's Erica's response going to be? Right. But also I think the uh, reveal of Heather is going to be the thing that That kind of kicks Guardians in the butt and says, oh, that's my lady. As it should, which I mean, like, how did you not know? You know, we do see on the cover for four is the full team together with box sentinels surrounding them. Mm-hmm. And then the cover for issue five, I just pulled up and it's the full team. Well, that, that scene essentially seems like it's right where they are now. You know, right. like they said, okay, go, because it's going to take the sentinels an hour to get more there. Minute, you know, 20, 20 more minutes. minutes. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that we're not going to also send the sentinels as your backup. And then but will I mean, you or won't you be needing the backup? Five mutants or four mutants and Heather tore down all those box sentinels and now you add four more oh heroes, for sure but i think that department h it. thinks that it's they're going the sentinels they're are going to back up yeah. the their team yeah but that's not what's going to happen oh this is fine it was kind of furthering character stories and their reactions i i enjoy the art here yeah. which is great it feels traditional but also really clean it feels like something that i expect from this Erica's blow up was huge and just continuing to blow yeah. up on everybody. Feedback's clone story was interesting and kind of confusing, but 
Uh, but I like that they're addressing things, yeah, you yeah. know, instead of being like, oh, yeah, yeah, that person was in another issue, but we're not going to talk about it, sweep it under the rug. They're right. at least acknowledging, like, we know that this he continuity died. is confusing so or questionable, so let's let's set that straight. Yeah. Eric Huffman isn't sure how he feels about the big reveal of Heather in Alpha Flight. She never had powers in the past, just James's suit after he died and came into her own. As an Alpha Flight fan, continuity is all messed up and I'm annoyed. Mm. Which is interesting because Ed Brisson is a self-proclaimed big Alpha Flight fan. He's Canadian. He grew up reading this. You know, it is it was his goal to write this continuity. I understand the the suit or items powering mm -hmm. the Hudsons. And that might be where Heather is getting this. I don't know how. I, I hope that they explain this. Yeah, there's two issues. So right? There's hopefully time. The sword likely being a source of her teleportation ability, but also having some draining on her physicality, I think is really yeah. interesting. And the idea that her power is coming from a separate entity, not within her, would make sense as to why it drains her so much sure. and is hard for her to use. Right. But that's interesting perspective that I didn't know. Yeah. Edward III wasn't thrilled with the Nemesis reveal as it seemed a bit obvious, but still loving Alpha Flight. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know if it's just... Because everyone else was racking their brains trying to think who else is associated with mm -hmm. Alpha Flight that could be this mysterious. You know, Heather has been in a suit that gave her powers before. Right. So it does feel very on brand. Well, I wonder if like that same mindset of like in Uncanny Avengers, if sure, yeah. Captain Krakoa is revealed to be Hydra Cap, like are people going to feel, oh, we already guessed that? Right. Because we're WandaVisioning ourselves. Sure, people. yeah, yeah, yeah. We're getting too into the mystery, and then we're mad when we figure it out. We're mad when we figure it out a couple episodes early. We should be vindicated. Baderino says Kyle's letter to JP reminds me of a floor manager begging the higher-ups to do something before the staff riot. <laughs> just, yeah. Yes. It's just like, hey, um, please. Yeah. We I'm need all help here. here. People are getting restless. I know you're in a thing doing it. But, but I can't really do much. If they, if they go, hey, I'm like, I'm a person. Right. There's a bunch of mutants. They win. Yeah. Captain Jim Michael says, put the box sentinels on Orcus's side. Michael needs a better reason to hate them all. Mm -hmm. And especially the, the leader of them. Right. And they're like, that's the, the smaller stakes element of it all is that are they Orcus connected or are they just kind of sentinel inspired trying yeah. to do their own thing? It's interesting. I was talking to PJ about the Americanized narrative of x-men comics predominantly american even mm -hmm. though that you have readers all around the world right most of the conflicts are happening in america they're centered around heroes whose home bases are in america and it very it reads very much so especially with uncanny avengers reading from a american cultural mm -hmm. discourse yes and that coming through and it's interesting you know canada this is a canadian story this is like kind of what else is happening up north. Yeah. But if you think about it too, in the Doomsday issue, there's a line where they're talking about the fact that other nations are going to start bombing America yeah, yeah. to deal with the Sentinels because they think that this has gotten out of hand. So it kind of gives you like, you know, World War Two Nazi vibes. Like sure. this is happening here and now other countries are like, this kind of oppression is not okay and we need to step into this country to help. And, and, it is 
it is interestingly relevant to yeah. our real lives. Which I think is the other part of it is that, like, you know, Americans are going through a moment and mm-hmm. it is reflected in these stories. Yes. Miss Marvel, the New Mutant. Yes, please. Yeah, no, this, I love this, this was issue. solid. I feel like I, even after reading issue two, after reflecting on it uh, for afterthoughts, I was like, mm-hmm. maybe I was a little harsh on it <laughs> because I did enjoy this. And, oh, so happy when I redeemed this issue on Marvel Unlimited and it gave me two versions. Oh. It gave me the scroller, which I will never open again. But it also gave me a digitized version of this that I can move around on the pages and can zoom in on panels. See, there is someone from Marvel who listens to our podcast, and they did hear how mad you were about that. Good. I love it. <laughs> but, you know, the the majority of this issue is taking place in the mind. Kamala's dream. And I think it's interesting to kind of see this idea that this dream is a mix of her subconscious and this plant that's been put into her by Orcus and this battle with her subconscious, but she feels like, am I battling myself? And then she kind of, you know, she realizes what's happening to her. Well, and just the sending in a physical representation of her mutation as the way to trick her into doing things. I thought this was really good and just up to the stakes for Kamala in this story. Right. And like there's so much that's great about this issue. Like first of all, this this thing that is in her mind, not only is it getting information from her, but once they are successful, the idea is that it will travel through the psychic network yeah, that the mutants that are intense. using and take them all down. But, and that's crazy. But shout out to Bruno saving the day, being oh a little God. reverse hacker. I him him blowing this bubble hee hee hee, which is Classic Alicia text message. I love love it. Also, um, our doctor friend kind of sticking it to Karima and saying like, all right, listen, you told me that if I failed this mission, I die. So let me prove to you how serious I am. And the like flex of electrocuting Karima and then being like, if I die, you die. Yes. Like, that's it. Yeah. No, this is good. Really loved that. And just the the improvisation of Bruno and as Kamala's like knocked out and the little drones are running oh everywhere. Oh my gosh. And, and putting something on her to hide in the, the facial recognition. And, and propping her up from behind. And, right, right. and the joke of like, I'm so glad we watched Weekend at Bernie's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But this like panel where, or the series of panels where Kamala's, you know, supposed mutation comes to her and... She's offering out her own hand and saying these things, these enticing things. And when she says, I can make you a god, and like Kamala pulls her hand away. In that moment, I was like, yes, good job, Kamala. Like, great. And she has her whole speech about how like it's not about the powers themselves. It's it's about what you do with them. And the people. And the people that you're connected to. And I was just like, yes, Kamala. Yes. And oh, my heart. My heart for Bruno in all of these moments when he's just like, come on, wake up. Like, yeah, eh, I'm scared. I don't know what to do. Ooh. But let's talk about that last panel. Ugh. The realization, recognition of a Stark Sentinel outside as Kamala wakes up and mutant detected. Yeah. Yeah. What? Yeah. So suddenly her mutant gift is detectable. Was that because, uh, I don't know. I don't know. Is that the, the mutant gene? Is that is Bruno secretly a mutant? No. I know. Like No, please don't. It's do not that. Bruno. No, we don't talk about Bruno. 
it's interesting because Orcus was messing with this fake version of her mutant gene to lure her to their grasp and then did they do something to actually trigger it or did this dream that she's been having is that been her gateway to finding her dream finding out that she is all of these things and accepting that she is all of these things would be the key to unlocking what her mutant gene is yeah and now i'm just like okay so next issue do i get to see her power do i get to see her mutation what is it better i mean i love all the i'm just looking through next issue is the last issue the krakowin and so that's the vibe, right? Is some of these you're like, wow, no, I want more of this. Yes. And some of them you're like, okay, no, I, I see the end and right. I'm ready for it. Sentinels, that's our Krakoan. But I'm looking at the covers of the final issue and just all these homages to mm-hmm. past comics with Kamala put in as like the mutant her, her leading the charge for new X-Men 114 cover. I think that is really great. And everything else kind of lo- looks the same. The Frank quietly backdrop. The one, this one with her fighting a Stark Sentinel. I might even post that one when, when this goes up and we want to talk about it. But yeah, I mean, I love this issue. I've, oh, I've been a fan of the Miss Marvel series, the new mutant series for since the beginning, I think it's really fun. I really like the energy of it. I like the pacing of it. I like the stakes. And the partnership between Kamala and Bruno is really yeah, great. That's definitely given me a new appreciation for that relationship and wants wanting to learn more about their continuity together. Yeah. I thought this was a great issue. I thought this was fun, yeah. I think it's interesting, the, the narrative and Kamala's struggle with her identity as a mutant and as everything else. And mm-hmm. I think that's really relevant to the mutant metaphor and cause is okay. But what if you find yourself as a mutant, will you be proud? Will you be scared? Yeah. I yeah. Think how would you handle that? Initially? I think one of my, one of my reactions to why I didn't like it was because it felt kind of like kid gloves, but mm-hmm. at the same time, is that right for right. a teenager going through their muberty or, or right. delayed muberty for the first time? I don't know. I'm not, I don't know for certain what my book of the week this week was because there were so many that I liked. But I will say that this story was one that I actively like said things out loud. Like I was like, oh, snap, (laughs) with the whole Karima thing. And like when Kamala pulled her hand away, I like said out loud, like, that's right, Kamala. Like I just felt so invested in this story in a way that in other stories I maybe didn't feel as invested. So this was definitely top of my list for this week. Let's talk about that title page. Title page. What dreams are made of? Waking Nightmare, written by Iman Villani and Sabir Pirzada. Art by Carlos Gomez and Adam Gorham. Colors, Eric Arseniega. Letters, Joe Caramagna. This is Joe Caramagna. Sarah Pacelli and Matthew Wilson on that cover. Anybody else here? This is what dreams are made of. From the Lizzie McGuire movie in your head when I read that title? Just me? Okay. Not no, me. I know it wasn't just me. I know other people heard it. All right. Maybe not you, Justin. I never watched Lizzie There's McGuire. There's at least one person. It's the Lizzie McGuire movie? Never watched any Lizzie McGuire content. <sighs> Eagle's Waterboy really enjoyed Miss Marvel. Sad to see it ending soon. There's so much story left to be told, in my opinion. Mm, and I yeah. agree. I think it's like one of those ones where, and you know, the ways that things start and stop. 
this could easily get launched as an ongoing of Miss Marvel's continued adventures, uh, adventures, and how mm-hmm. this then weaves into a larger narrative of the Marvel Universe or the X Men side of things. I don't think that this is going to be the end of Miss Marvel's mutant story. No, but this being kind of like a micro batch of storytelling to set up her mutanity is an interesting yes. pit stop. Yeah, I mean, I do think it would be interesting to have her have a solo story and be dealing with being, you know, a mutant and an inhuman and a regular girl and all of these things. Um, so I could see where that's coming from for sure. Yeah. Vaderino's biggest shocker was seeing Omega Sentinel brought down <laughs> by Natika. Honestly, pro gamer move on her part. I loved it. Yeah, no, that, that was, was a great. great moment. That was really I was awesome. like, yeah, get her. Take her down to size. Warlion said if Spidey knew that the other and a Galactus him are in Kamala's dreams slash fanfic, he would riot, especially that Spider is not the other, but he is so reminiscent of him. Uh, that's the one of the final pages, the kind of characters of the fanfic universe unite, assemble, where you have this Galactus version of a character. I don't know too much about the other, but it's interesting to see all those creations of kamala's dreams and her her builds yeah because these are these are all her her silly ideas they're not real characters yeah so i mean like wolverine has hot dog claws like i don't think wolverine would be really happy about that either i think that that is amazing and i did not see that (laughs) uncanny avengers uncanny avengers deadpool's having a time I love this cover. Yeah, it's I really cool. I love this cover so much. Just the facial expression of Deadpool with the idea that Fenris hand-holding is just shooting straight through him. Yeah. It's good stuff. Deadpool. I like the like the chill dynamics like, at the beginning. You yeah, know? It's, it's a team hanging out. Some collegiality, but then the distress signal from Cap, the thing that he said that he would never abuse to show the humans in front of him how hard... This team is willing to react to save him. I had mixed feelings about this moment. Good. Because I think that it's good that Cap is doing this and he's taking a stand and he's coming out there and And he's saying, saying, okay, hello, innocent until proven guilty. And like, don't you think it's weird that Orcus is like the one saying all of these things and yet they're controlling all of our lives. But on the same front, the way that like the crowd is so angry and that woman throws something at Cap and then he says a couple things and then he she goes up and she's like, you know what, I'm so sorry. You're right, Captain America. Like, I don't think he would have changed the tide so drastically so quickly. Well, especially with some things that feel kind of generic, you know, like, mm. hey, love each other. We're all similar. It, it just, I, I was again in a conversation with PJ about this. And this was what kind of sparked a lot of what we were talking back and forth of. He was mentioning a lot of discourse online, not buying or, or feeling upset with Kanan's and Monet's reaction to this. It was like, mm. oh, wow, oh, yeah, this this human, you know, kind of like white saviorism. This guy is like, no, hey, stop, stop killing the mutants, guys. Like be be friends and all be together. It's interesting because then we started talking about, OK, like, is it. Is it that they're inspired by his words or that they see his impact on the flat scans, the, the, the regular humans who aren't as open to. And, you know, you look at this from the metaphor uh, perspective, is this turning the tide for people who are not open to diversity in the sense of mutants? 
to be a little bit more compassionate about, hey, you have differences within you too. Mutant is just another other. Yeah, I think... Okay, this is a very, like, sensitive sure. topic, yeah, I would yeah. say, because because of the way that his speech so seriously, directly, like, comments on racism, ageism, homophobia, like, anti-trans. All topics all, like, in the narrative Everything currently. that's happening right now in our country, is a, it's a very uh, prominent discussion. And I think that... It's difficult because, yes, he is a white man, but he also is this – like, even if we think about this, if this was, like, Falcon Captain America, it's the mantle of being the representation of America right. and being the one to say – this is what America actually stands for, not what you, not what other people are trying to make you think America stands for. Like this is what I'm telling you, America stands for. So I do understand that he is a white man, but I think that if if uh, Falcon was up there saying it, Falcon Captain America, why can't I think of his name Sam. right now? I was I was gonna call him Anthony, and I'm like that is the freaking actor, Alicia. But like if Sam was up there saying it, I think it would be Similar. It's the same thing, right. right? It's and so I think the reaction from the mutants in regard to this is less like, oh my God, he's our savior and more like, okay, wow, that's a stand-up thing to do. Sure. Like he, because doing, they were he's questioning. He's doing what he can, right? Right. And From the, his perspective. And the mutants were questioning whether or not he should be the face of it because what happens if he gets killed in this fight and now he's put himself out there and saying like, I'm willing to stand up for this fight. So he's saying like, he's put himself out there in a different way, which... I, I can understand completely both sides of the the, uh, the argument, but I just think it's more that he's saying, well, if you trust me to represent what America is, this is what I'm telling you that America is. Right. This is my America. Right. And he even calls it my America, what I was raised in. Right. Which this was a majority of the issue. The, the rest of it being a little romantic aside to talking about the other surprise romance in the book that Jerry alluded to in his newsletter this week. So I guess uh, last issue with Captain Krakoa and Andrea was the first. This is the second, and there might be a third. A third? Right. I don't know. But this is M and Pietro. Which they have I a little tete-a-tete with Fenris in a perfume store. Yeah, perfumery. And uh, it ends with an embrace some kissing some smooching some kissing i mean the other big thing is we get the reveal of the human survivor from the hellfire gala something that i called out a couple months ago mm-hmm. a couple issues ago where it was going to be wilson fisk but of course he kingpins it up and he says ah no hold up i am protecting the x-men right they are not protecting me let me just be clear for a second don't get it twisted also as warline points out I'm wanted for murder. Right. Nobody's going to believe my story. So I need you to, I don't know, make a fake name. I somehow am also now in charge of the club that used to be run by the mutants. We'll see. Was I actually at the Hellfire Gala? Who has the proof? That'll be an interesting story. How do you feel about Pietro and Monet as a couple? I hate Pietro. (laughs) But also at the same time, I see the connection. Like, they are both very, I don't want to say arrogant, Mm. but I mean, I'm pretty sure that's the title of the issue is the arrogance. (laughs) 
Yes, it is. The arrogance. And that is an interesting bit of, you know, and I don't know if that's in reference to the two of them or to Fenris or all of them, all of the the, the humans at the yeah. tree speech. You know, I, I just I don't know. I'm, I'm OK with it, but M could do so much better. Yeah, that's kind of how I feel a little bit. I mean, like I like pietro in the movies a lot better than i like pietro in the comics yes um he's insufferable in the comics he's so annoying in the movies he's just like yeah i'm i'm joking and fun with my impatience the only thing that i like kind of is a saving grace for me in this dynamic is the way that it's monet who is initiating the move yeah so to me that's like pietro maybe would like you know, fantasize about Monet, but think, oh, that'll never happen because she's Monet. She's powerful. She's, she's out whatever. of your league. And like for me, this feels like to her, he's just like a little plaything. Like yes. for right now, like this is fun, whatever. And so it doesn't feel like this is a right. long lasting, life changing relationship. It's about as long lasting as me on this team. You know, like <laughs> yeah. I'm just doing a little stint with yeah. the Avengers and I'm then I'm just going to just have some fun while I'm here. And then I'm going to go beat up and make out kicks. with Black Panther. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But like we said, the arrogance is our title of the issue. It was written by Jerry Duggan, art by Emilio Lasso coming in as the guest artist for this issue. Colors, Maury Hollowell. Letters, Travis Lanham. He sees Travis Lanham. Javier Garon and Maury Hollowell on the cover. What would you think? I thought it was interesting was an interesting step forward it wasn't like a huge fighting step um i thought the statement by cap was an interesting twist and i and i'm more so left wondering what the deal with the perfume is and what like what is this building that fenris was at and like why is that a connection and why did we go there and like was that just a way to say, oh, they only sell this at this one place, so maybe we can track Fenris down and get well, to why their were base? Th- why were they there Why were they also shopping? there? Like, I've got a lot of questions about that. Yeah, that felt clunky. But not... No, I, to me, I wouldn't say it felt clunky. To me, it felt like an un, like it, it uh, left me with a cliffhanger. Like, I want to know more about what this connection brings or, like, what's going to happen from this interaction. It, so um, by, by clunky, I think I mean it felt just inserted. And so maybe that's a similar feeling that you're getting, that it's not explained. Mm-hmm. But why are why are these Nazi supervillains shopping for perfume together after stealing a nuke? You right. know, like... And and they are well, visibly wanted as the MLF. So that's why, in my mind, I think the perfume place is a front for something else. Maybe, yeah. And that's why. That would be interesting. Because like, that's like, wh- why Why are we talking about perfume? Like, sure. we're not. We just, they we'll happen see. to be wearing this perfume because this place is connected to something else. Yeah. Warline says, there's nothing more laughable than remembering that Black Widow married Deadpool for a hot second. Skull emoji. <laughs> Pietro and M, I'm totally down. Seriously, though. Uncanny Avengers is probably one of the best books Duggan wrote since Hoxpox, but it's hard to enjoy it with the art, which I don't know. I, I really loved Marauders. I do mm-hmm. enjoy this. I think it's really good. I don't mind the art yeah, in this. Yeah, I thought the uh, art was good. This issue or Javier's. Uh, I think Javier's throws me off with the massive eyebrows of Captain America under the mask and, and some of the boyishness from like his gleeful charm. But I liked it here. I like Amelia Lasso. 
Uh, Anas also said another day of asking the same question. Does no one in the universe remember that Kingpin is wanted for murder of Matt Murdock? And now with the amnesty gone of Krakoa, he's not free to run around. And it's an interesting point because it, it likely will be addressed at here's some the, point. Here's the thing in my mind. At what point in time is Kingpin not wanted for something? Sure, sure. You know? and a little like murder of one guy. Like that's Please. small potatoes this for This man Kingpin. has strings. He's got hands and all the pockets. He's got deep pockets too. Yeah, like. But, I mean, yes, he should be punished sure, for his sure, sure. crime, but yeah. he probably never will be. JP Didomaso wants to know our thoughts on Quicksilver and Monet's relationship. And, you know, it, it makes it makes a small amount of sense. But I love what you're saying about it was initiated by Monet. Mm-hmm. And it's basically her like, well, I'm here. Right. I might as well get some action. You right. know, I might, you know I, I'm making the choice to initiate something. Who knows? Oh, look at you. You like me? All right. All right. I'll play into it. I could pick that up telepathically. Yeah. And yeah. let's go. Yeah. Vaderino doesn't understand Monet having a thing for Pietro. He's typically just the worst. This feels fast grown. <laughs> I, I, I'll not forget when I was reading it, though, and I got to that page and you were like, your face. Yeah. I was just like. Uh, was not expected. What? Yeah. When, it was hinted towards in the, in the lead up with like, like the moving yeah. of the hand. Yeah. I was like, oh, no, they're going to make out in this issue. Yep, I know yep. it. The positive fan calling out a great speech by Cap. And I think that, you know, the heart of the speech, what he's mm-hmm. trying to say, what he's trying to do with his position, with where he is, I think it was well intended. But I also hear the other side of the read. And, and OK, like, how does this work in the human mutant dynamic, the, the face of the mutant struggle? Yeah, I think what's difficult, that was a good way to put it, because what's difficult is that we don't want to see Cap as the face of the mutant struggle, but he is trying to be a good ally here. Right. And that's where it, that is a difficult line, something that I often am still like learning and struggling with in like diversity and inclusion and all of that of like being a white person. Like how do you how do you be a good ally without overstepping into something that is not your conversation? Exactly. So I think it was a handful of things. It was like that and then also just reading the fact that like that script was there and looking at it and, and saying like God, I wish so many people we're reading this right now. Yeah. Because you think about the people who are reading that are, the are probably that the people who feel connected to it. And, and Well, yes and no. Because, I, you know, I do agree that the mutant metaphor for the other people is a large part or at least a section of X-Men fandom. Mm-hmm. But there are also a large part of fandom that just like it because of the stories mm-hmm. because of the superheroics because of you know right you know, they're, right. they're not reading it for the diversity message you get on some of the message boards on facebook and yeah, people they're... don't understand like what is this why are all these woke politics in my x-men is right, like bro right. you gotta go back and understand that you gotta understand what exactly x-men, x-men is <laughs> but it doesn't mean that it's the same thing of subjective subjectivity what you get from that story largely is what you're looking for right and Everything's there. It's just what you gravitate for in that metaphor. Yeah. Yeah. Barusu's 33's highlights of the book were Kanan and M would love to see more focus on them. And yes. Always. I will like, say that I, though, I was like, oh, I wish it wasn't Pietro who was with M in this little side story. I did like to see M like getting go something. in and getting it. And yeah. like that moment when she's like cracking her knuckles and yeah. she's like, okay, like 
essentially like this is gonna hurt like yeah. i was like yeah am. <laughs> I, I think that i mean it's the main reason why i wanted her to be on the x-men mm-hmm. because i wanted more content and then to see the tease of the two of them Kanan and m working together at mm-hmm. the start of issue one i would have loved more of that right i feel like them doing their mission beforehand breaking people out of these orcus camps that would have been a cool one yeah. shot or lead in or unlimited arc or whatever but also is just a fun thing to imagine right edward the third would definitely keep reading uncanny avengers if it continued he's really liking duggan's take on everything that's going on yeah i I am too yeah oh and it's interesting just like this as a metaphor for the the divisions right Mm -hmm. well it's uh, what's also interesting is like if it if and when or when Krakoa wraps up and, and they're not fighting for the mutant cause anymore, will the like the cadence of Uncanny Avengers be the same? Sure. Because then they would be doing a different fight and then their team dynamics would be slightly different because they're not fighting for the mutant cause. So then would the book be the same? Right. Is it be is it resonant because of this moment right. that the fall of X is putting us in? Victoria doesn't know if the one making the discourse was real or hydrocap arm should be different right so the the metal arm so but the words were too generic centrist we should be different bullshit and i don't see rogue and Kanan gushing behind them like that so they're kind of spot, talking to what we were talking about about the the mutants becoming really excited or inspired by the words that cap is saying i think that's definitely captain america i don't know if he's just wearing his suit over what would be the metal arm yeah I can't imagine that Hydrocap would make that speech and or have access to the ability to call them all in. But I mean that would be a twist and a half. I don't I don't know. Yeah. What's interesting is I just I just went in and I reread the um the little bubbles between Kanan and Monet about Cap and I feel like that moment was used as a statement that in the previous issue, yeah, they were saying, "Get out! We, you shouldn't lead our team." And what they're saying here, like, yes, she does say, "Oh, I really love this guy," yeah. but the root of it is he should lead an X Men team. He already is, mm-hmm. you know. And that's like, I don't know if I agree with that statement. Like, he sure. should go lead an X Men team. Like, no, right? There are plenty of strong X Men who can lead a team. But, but to say that the, the Uncanny Avengers is an X Men team, yes. like they're owning that that is yeah. the thing, and that is, and it's not just a it's not just a superhero team; it's an X Men team with non mutants on it. I think is the root of that conversation. Jean mm-hmm. Grey. I think this might be my favorite cover of the week. I would entertain that idea. I don't know what it is. I think it's honestly for me, it's the colors. Sure. It's I I really like the dynamic of the color of the cover, but the colors really I don't know. It's a very aesthetically pleasing palette, mm. and I it's I'm just very drawn to it every time it comes up in the stack. I'm like, oh, I really love this cover. Yeah, I really enjoy the covers of Jean Grey as a whole. I feel like they've been really really strong. I just love Uncanny Spider Man's cover. Mm. That Rhino charge with Kurt. Well, that for you is a Spider-Man nostalgia thing. Uh, 100%. You know? 100%. This for me is just like just the art speaking. Yeah. Like it's not even about the characters that are on it or anything. It's just the art, the 
and I, I really is the colors. It's just a really gorgeous color palette. So let's see what Jean wants to do this time. Okay. Well, first I will say this. Okay. So you told me and we knew going into this that this issue was very Inferno heavy. Yep. And I am going to read the OG Inferno. It's going it's like top of my post surgery reading list. I really want to do it. I, I started reading it forever ago. I've got two issues in and then I stopped. So when you said like this issue is very inferno heavy, I think I did this issue a disservice because I tried to read it and tried to find only the information that was pertinent to the Jean Grey story and tried not to dig like not let the other stuff of the inferno story sink in too much because I was afraid it was going to ruin inferno for me. Like Hmm. there are things in this that I was like uh, like the moment when it's all starting and, and Maddie is yelling at Gene and Gene's like, we thought you were dead. I like said out loud, like, Gene, you're a freaking liar. No, you didn't. Because then I've read more of the issue and I realized that in Inferno, they do think that she's dead. Yeah. But Scott abandoned her long before he thought she was dead. For sure. He, he left. You know, I think that that is all wrapped up in. Right. And, and a lot of that was in the pre-Inferno conversation. That's why even looking through this, most of the details that are Inferno relevant, you at least have heard in a sense. Yeah, but that was so long ago. I know. You know? That's why I, I said in a sense, because it's not actively living in your head like it is for me. I mean, the art in this book. I love the art. Bernard Chang. Stunning. Yes. Killer. Even the, the colors. Love it. Yes. So... So, okay, so because I did this, like, very surface-level read of this, my my questions kind of come to you because what I felt reading this issue was really, like, more of a conversation of Maddie reconciling what was real for her in Inferno and what was sinister or the demon's influence or what did she – how did she experience Inferno – in her rage and now she's looking back on it and saying oh it was this person who manipulated me it was this person who manipulated me and I didn't get as much of like actively seeing Jean make a different choice in something so I'm wondering what that different choice is or or what your experience with this issue was in that way like what was the what if here yeah it seems as though the what if is understanding so the the phoenix Mm -hmm. that the retcon of Jean dying in 101 instead being buried under mm-hmm. the bay and a part of the Phoenix when she dies going to Madeline in her stasis tube that Sinister had created. So that did not actually happen. No, that did. Okay, that did. That sparks her life, which otherwise she was like kind of a dormant clone, did not go anywhere, did not do anything. Mm-hmm. This reads as though she rejects the Phoenix at some point and the Phoenix fully goes to Madeline here. And then you see how that plays out is, okay, what would Madeline do? Because they do have some kind of reckoning all of this conversation. Maybe that's maybe that's it. The fact that this conversation at the beginning is happening in the white hot room, seemingly. Right. This is Jean accepting Madeline as a Phoenix avatar and having this conversation about the full continuity of things, even seeing all these flashbacks like this page with Sinister and the fire. This Mm -hmm. was a preview page a while back that I just love. 
Yeah, it, it it's it's interesting because then there's like the whole hope of it all, and we see hope coming in the way that she does in the last immortal, and and like all of the entities of the phoenix kind of coming together inside Jean's mind in the white hot room is interesting. But I think I this was another instance for me that it wasn't, and and I feel like it's my own fault this time because I was reading it on a surface level. But I think that. I didn't understand what the what if of this issue was like I and because I didn't I haven't read Inferno like I don't know that did she did she or does she not like take on this full force and like also the techno organicness of Sim and like do all these terrible things like does yeah, that does actually she have happen? demon magic and phoenix power and techno organic right. power? it felt what I think is interesting is that this even though this was a Jean Grey issue it felt more like a Madeline issue yes it did and it was good because yeah. of that and I think you know Part of it is also when Madeline dies in. Uh oh. Sorry. Spoiler. <laughs> I mean, come on. She's not in continuity anywhere afterwards. Didn't when know Mad- that she died. When Madeline dies in Inferno. Damn it. The memories of what she's experienced go to Jean because of that part of the Phoenix, because of that, that part of her returning to her. So like this, this is still a part of her. Interesting. And maybe that's what we're seeing is this play out of these two sides, this manufactured side by Sinister, manipulated by Nastier and Sim, and her rebelling against all these masters, these puppeteers, and showing you know, like this is this is the darkness and the the rage of the Phoenix unleashed, especially with the motivation of unleashing hell onto the earth. You know, like a lot of you get some of this vibe from Dark Web mm-hmm. and what Madeline's motivation was in that arc. I thought this was, you know, just in terms of art and in terms of ridiculous, bombastic action. This was one of my favorite of the Jean Grey. Oh, I thought issues. it was a really great issue, even for like trying not to let myself be too thwarted by the idea of of what is the original Inferno. I thought like so much of this was so cool and the you know, the sucking the things out of Sim and saying, like, I need no allies and the, the back and forth between the two of them and this, like, the baby's, what is the baby's name? Is it Christopher or Nathaniel? Like, who is it? Whose parent is it? Who should be taking care of him? Like, that whole struggle. Yeah. And the just a, a terrifying version of Maddie that comes out of this experiment. Well, then the ending... This surrounded by all these versions of herself. You're the one who created this mess, aren't you? And is this just the multitude of points that she she could have inhabited? Warline pointing out, why is Rachel here? Uh-huh. Yes. AOA Gray. Yeah. I honestly I saw it and I went, What the heck, Rachel? And then I was like, Oh no, that's actually, that's, that's actually Jean Gray Jean. from yeah. AOA, but I just call her Rachel because she looks like Rachel. Yep. So even though you were surface level reading it. You really enjoyed this one? Yeah, this was probably my favorite one. Maybe it'd be worth going back and, and reading it. After I read Inferno. Sure. Because I feel like once I read Inferno and I know what the actual story was meant to be, then I'll be able to twisted. see the twist. Yeah. Because right. right now, you know, the idea of demonic forces from Limbo, it's this, it's there. And yeah. so it's, it could go either way, you know, and you, you don't really know, like... All of this could have happened. Right, right. 
yeah, the involvement of all the major players, a lot of the beats are there, right? You right. have Sinister, Nastier, Sim, you have the the baby the babies and nanny makes a guest appearance. Yes. You know, uh trying to open up this gate portal. A lot of again, it's interesting to experience all those bits in Dark Web and in here and how those are very true to the beats of mm-hmm. Inferno. So would you say that like in the first, so Gene Grey number one, the what if was, what if we didn't forget the future? Yep. Green, Jean Grey number two was like, what if someone else absorbed the Phoenix? First mm-hmm. it was Wolverine, then it was Cyclops. Now in this, is this also what if someone else absorbed the Phoenix? Or like, what if Maddie got the full force of the Phoenix? That seems what it is. I mean, she has the Phoenix, Jean does not. And she is transformed into it. It's interesting to think about that Jean is... is trying all the options in her mind and she's like you know what 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 if maddie was able to be even more destructive would yeah, right. that save how, our world i don't understand how this would possibly work out positively <laughs> how does this have a positive right. outcome yeah and and maybe it's this last panel is what if i across the continuum of my life embraced the phoenix mm. in some way you know like I, there's we have some questions about uh, taylor the bookster boy wants to know if we think Jean will take the Phoenix back at the end. And I feel like that's kind of the yes. read at the end that she has to. Right. That there's no one else that can mm-hmm. other than Rachel. But that is a different right. story that likely won't happen because she's another world. You know, I would love it to happen. But wouldn't be cool if the last issue she like summons Rachel back and passes it to her and then Rachel saves everyone. Yeah. It would be a bummer for Jean Grey fans. Yeah, but definitely. Yeah, as a Rachel <laughs> Probably fan. Probably will not happen. No, no. But, I mean, we continued into the questions. Gilbert Rojo, 1022, calling this as the best issue of the Jean Grey series by far. And big agree on that one. Long live Maddie. Big agree on both parts, Gilbert. It's funny. It's funny because I'm like, bleh, Jean Grey. And then we get an issue of Jean Grey that's really about Maddie. And I'm like, yeah, I love Jean yeah. Grey. <laughs> Because you see, oh, well, I mean, in the same way, I feel that Dark Beast is a shade of what Beast could be. Maddie, especially with some more tinkering and involvement from outside forces, is a shade of what Jean could be. Because she starts with the same genetic template, the I same don't, base. I don't care for that analogy. And <laughs> All that right. Will Edward III is on. reeling from so many books, but is glad that Jean noticed hope that secondary connection mm-hmm. to immortal and the story that Kieran's telling. And yes, I think that's a cool tethering. I'm still highly confused sure. by that whole situation and very interested to hear like, how could all these mutants who do not have connection to the Phoenix be in the white hot room? Hopefully we find out more. Vaderino sent the panel of the Phoenix saying, then die Jean gray. <laughs> it will never not be funny to me. Even the Phoenix is over it. You know, if you don't want to just, just get out of here. Just get out. Because that's what she says at that point is just like, I can't take all of you. I can't take the rage and the destruction. I will only want the light and the goodness. And it's like, well, you can't pick and choose. Right. And it seems that they're very much so saying that she needs it at that point. Mm -hmm. Because even, you know, at 101, when she needs it to save them. Otherwise, what happens? You can't give it to somebody else. We see what happens with that. Right. It's like almost like the burden of responsibility that is the Phoenix. Right. Cutting this in to Jean Grey, 
Warline says that the most important takeaway from this issue is that Madeline never tried to focus on her real enemy for all her entire existence as a villain. So the fact that she, her real enemy being sinister, and, and I would also put Nastier and, and Sim on that list, but the fact that she was like, no, I'm just going to easily dismiss you, but also I'm excited about bringing hell on earth. Mm-hmm. I thought that was interesting. One of my theories early on is that the backup of Gene was somehow corrupted when AOA Gene was in the 616. That's making me wonder if AOA Gene's appearance, Rachel, here means anything or just an Easter egg, considering that the White Hot Room is the home of all Phoenix hosts. Interesting. I, I would I would wonder how that plays out and, and just, I, I don't know that we'll get something that deep into. Yeah, I feel like if we didn't see it in the Krakoan era, we can't include it as something that messed up the backup. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah, right. You know, like I... When you said that, when you were reading that, I was like, when the heck was Rachel, uh, Rachel Jean? Yeah. <laughs> Apocalypse Jean in, in the, the 616. Yeah. And so I feel like if that had happened during the Krakoan age, it would be more tangible. But that's a, such a deep cut within a deep cut that I don't know that that would be. I don't know. Maybe. I mean, there, there are all sorts of deep cuts in this series. Mm-hmm. That's true. The Krakoan for Jean Grey is Ashes to Ashes. Which I think is great. Ooh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really leads into the story. On to Uncanny Spider-Man number two. Uncanny Spider-Man. Your old pal Spider-Man. Uh, your old pal Spider-Man. The number of times that I say that quote from, what is that? Homecoming? Homecoming. And the yeah. Vulture. Oh, my God. It's embarrassing. But it is my life. Ooh. Starting out strong. This, this I mean, there are a lot of... How did you feel about this in comparison to one? Because one was your book of the week when it came out, right? Like that was, and I just feel like similarly, this has compared to the other titles that we're talking about, like which would be a great ongoing versus which are we like, fine that it's a mini. Mm -hmm. This I think has a lot of narrative potential to be something more than just a five issue. Well, I see, I don't, I don't know if I agree with that because I think that it's an interesting arc for Kurt to look at himself as separating himself from mutant kind. Like there are moments in here where people are basically like, well, you chose like you chose not to be mutant right now. Like you're right. hiding from your mutant dumb. And I think that's true. That as an arc for the character, you don't want this to go on because you want Kurt, or at least I want Kurt, to be able to take a moment to reconcile with what has happened to him under the control of someone else, but then to come back stronger and to, to take ownership of who he is as a mutant and not who other people are saying that he is as a mutant. And I think that he needs this time apart to be able to get there, but I don't want to see him separated. I mean, I do like I do like this story a lot. And I think that this back and forth with Mystique, and, and it's so funny because like we were talking about this and and – like literally what we were saying the last issue of the idea that Charles scrambled her brain too far and yeah. she like doesn't know is like exactly what is happening and I was reading this and I was like what this is like usually like you know we can make good guesses but not always like Spot verbatim on, right. exactly right. what's happening in the book so I thought that was interesting and I, I am intrigued to see where that goes but this is a title for me that I really, really love, but I feel if it went on for too long, it would lose the thing that makes it so magical, which is like That's fair. Kurt's inner struggle and his kind of like 
self-discovery. This as a jumping off point into a next story for Kurt. Right. Yeah. Yes. But yeah, I, I see what you're saying. I just, it's, it's just the melding of all the things that I love. Mm-hmm. You have Nightcrawler, you have Spider-Man, you have Spider-Man's rogues gallery with influences of X-Men. You have Mystique, you have Cloak and Dagger references. Yeah. Like, like are, There's just so much going on here that I'm excited about. And I just really, I want my blue buddy happy. Mm-hmm. And, and he's seen, I mean, he's ignoring a lot of the things that he needs to be dealing with, but he's happy is kind of, you know, like he's. Yeah. What was it? Uh, the guy I saw, I try to avoid reading any breakdowns or recaps or anything before recording, but mm-hmm. I saw uh, an article from Bleeding Cool that was, you know, Marvel should just replace the word uncanny with horny. Oh, God. <laughs> because, I mean, he's he's laying it on thick here with Silver Sable. I mean, but that's... Also on her, too. You know, like the, no, but, the, but that Kurt has been that way for a little bit now. I mean, he's always kind of... Well, not always, but... I mean, think about Sen. No, yeah, no. It's... it's it, I don't know if it's Kurt or if it's Cy Spurrier. Yeah, it's... it's like, Cy... This is how Cy sees Kurt. Sure. You know? He wants to explore Kurt's sexuality, and that's okay. But yeah, he's like a... For me, I think... And I like I don't know a lot of Nightcrawler in comics, but I always imagine Nightcrawler to be a little bit more timid hmm. when it comes to uh, sexual relationships and a little less like confident. Like if you think about a person who is is not always comfortable or doesn't is very self conscious of their own skin yeah. to other people, I think maybe it's different with this particular character because they have a history and she knows him. But like with strangers, it's like. He's like, I'm blue and I'm scary. Aren't you scared of me? Like, I don't think he has like, well, when he's not that suave. This, I hate that I'm picturing this panel, but in a Claremont issue of Uncanny X-Men, when he's like naked on a couch with a blue bamf in front of his junk and just very, like there are elements of this that has been okay. throughout his continuity. So he has this confidence. He well, has. For you, he, Kurt. Especially, and it's detailed in classic X-Men backstories of him just embracing the fact, not wanting to hide behind an image inducer anymore. So mm. there's, a, there's a key point right. where he's just like, I'm not doing that anymore. I'm proud of who I am and what I look like. I shouldn't have to hide who I am. Mm. And which it's interesting that that is pulled in the second X-Men movie in that conversation between him and Mystique, mm-hmm. which again here, interesting. But I don't know, just to actually talk about one of the points that I thought was really interesting here in the, mm-hmm. the issue the rhino bit of him being manipulated and mm. Silver Sable pulling that connection between the the thing on his forehead and how that's reminiscent of what Nightcrawler had on his right. forehead when he committed those murders. I feel like she's going to flip on her employer right. because of the emotional connection and the fishiness of mind control. I feel like there's got to be a point when they try to use that mind control on her or someone on her team uh, because... The way that she says, like, I don't do it for X, Y, and Z. Like, I, the, the, it's for here the for money. The contract, like, yeah. I'm here for the money. So to to have that, you know, that doesn't usually – people who are here for the money don't really usually care about what emotionally is happening or what morally is happening on one side or the other. They're just there to do their job. But it is an interesting point to see. And I think for Kurt to acknowledge and see 
he wants to get this thing off the rhino and then maybe he'll feel a little bit better about himself and or can get that thing off and use that as a way to clear his name mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. you know that's his proof of saying like i was not under my own control like this yeah. thing was controlling me so i do think that that will come to play in a future story um I want to talk about this little Banff. Sure, yeah. Let's talk about this little devil Banff. Because they got, there's no angel and devil. There's only the devil. There's only the negative Banff just like toying with him. You ran out You ran out on mutants. Like, you got yeah. all this stuff. You don't want to tell anybody about your problems. Just local stuff, you know? Just- yeah. Yeah, you, you don't seem to care to investigate this situation. Like, what's wrong with your mom? You don't care? You're just going to let her run off? Like... I don't know. It's just I'm intrigued as to where this little Banff is coming from. Is this just Kurt's? This is why Kurt is where he is right now because this is his internal struggle. That's what I thought initially, or still kind of think. JP Didomaso brought up a really interesting point about: Is this some kind of influence from Legion who is mm. taken off the board but has powers that could represent itself in this way? So I thought that he, was, that's Legion, the little Banff. I like that idea. I do too. Yeah, I think that is interesting. I just The read that I had been getting from it was, this is the bottled emotions that Kurt is not dealing with mm-hmm. manifesting itself. And, and plus, you think about the magical influence that was put on him through mm-hmm. his mother yeah. and all the transformation. You know, Is this some kind of psychic residue from that? There's a lot that we still don't know about the little Banff, but as a character device for him to deal with or not the yeah. things that he's struggling with, I think it's really interesting. I, I, I just I want to know more. Right. And I, I don't I don't love the little Banff, but I love what it adds to the story. Yeah. What's the cloak and dagger situation of it all? I don't really know anything about cloak and dagger. Uh, mutant adjacent and they they reference that here Mm -hmm. they were always i think they are considered mutates got it but they have done x things at times never really been it was like one time that they were like kind of on an x-men team but they've always been kind of their own thing but with a friendliness to the x side of the universe it's an interesting drop here, and I'm, I'm wondering if we'll see that come any further or follow up in any way, but I don't know. I'm excited to see what happens next with the, the Vulture's work. I've been following Lee Garbett, the artist, on Instagram, and just mm-hmm. see he posts a lot of like in-process stuff. I love the art. Mm. Like I love the art in this book. It's I think so good. It's probably my favorite art in these miniseries. It's really good. Just the action, the dynamics, the the fighting. I was able to, I think I might have mentioned this last episode, but the variant of issue one that has Kurt on oh, it yes. bamfing out that was done by Lee it was sold out at our shop, but he had a copy of it at his table at New York mm-hmm. and we got him to sign it and Cy to sign it because they were sitting right next to each other. Yeah. That was that was like probably one of the highlights for you next to the me finding the dice. That was my favorite thing that I bought at mm-hmm. New York Comic Con. I um I think it's interesting uh, this whole fighting dynamic uh between Silver Sable and Nightcrawler and this like I'm I'm taking you down and then they're like oh but like let's have a little moment and then Nightcrawler so savage I think I could bamf two people again okay oh no I wasn't talking about you 
Talking right. about me and Rhino. Bye. Well, savage, but also, hey, you're trying to kill me. You're trying to kiss me. I could, like, that's his mission. Right. Is to clear his name, right? Oh, yeah. And, and just, the Rhino. It was a yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it was definitely. punch to the gut for so much They are heavy flirting here mm-hmm. beforehand and then falling onto each other, killing each other, or, or uh, kissing each other. And then the whole, like, where would you take me? Oh, right. Fraulein. Yeah. Where wouldn't I? But alas, bye. <laughs> bye. Super- There's also a suggestive nature to the holding of the tail in some of these well, so images. It's ironic because the Krakoan is superpositional. Oh. Which is a thing that has been used to describe Nightcrawler's tail. Hmm. It's just it's just interesting. interesting. Right, right, right. Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> but I think I think we all loved this issue. Oh yeah. It, yeah. yeah I Uncanny Spider Man felt kind it. of bad when I said it at first. I was like, Oh Alicia, you are such an awkward human. But like I straight up told Cy at New York Comic Con, I was like, I was questioning if I was gonna like this, but I really like it. And then I was like, I'm sorry, I don't mean to say I questioned your work. I just wasn't sure if I would like Nightcrawler as a Spider Man. Cosplaying as Spider Man. Yeah. But I do. And he was like, I question my own work, you know, so it's <laughs> fine. And I was like, huh, That's fair. run away. Um but I I had hesitation about this title, and it is proving to be one of my favorites. I think the thing that I like about it, and the thing that really resonates me with the titles that I feel like work well, like, for example, Dark X-Men is one of them, is that they have the, the Fall of X fight as their villain, as their thing, but that doesn't define the story. That the characters still exist, like... And that's where I think, you know, you were talking about the idea that Uncanny Spider-Man could be a continuation. Like, mm-hmm. Kurt could be in this the tone of this, the characterization, all of that. He could be fighting anybody. Right. And I would enjoy it. And that's what I think is, is that, yes, the fall of X is the looming big bad situation. But if it is the only thing driving the story, it's not as good of a story as if the story has other meat to it. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I just I feel like there's so much here that I'm down for and enjoying. So that's, yeah. that's where that comes from. JP Calvacanti wants to know what we think will come out of the Nightcrawler story. And my first reaction was an Eastern European love child between <laughs> Silver Sable and Nightcrawler. That will be what happens. But what will come out of it, hopefully the, well, we know with X-Men Blue. Right a new retelling of Nightcrawler's origin, whatever that is. New details around it, new mm-hmm. reveals. We don't know. Uh, I hope that Kurt deals with this plaguing subconscious. Mm-hmm. I would be really interested to see the further development of the Hounds and yeah, Vulture's where'd work. where'd that go? Yeah. Well, I mean, that's definitely coming back. But this is four issues? Five. Okay, there's three more. Thank goodness. Yeah, it was also delayed a couple times. So mm. we get another issue of this on November 8th, which Ooh. is only like two weeks from now. Exciting. Yeah. Gilbert Rojo 1022 is so loving Uncanny Spider-Man. He wants to know if Alicia is loving it yet. She's no, loving it. She's from loving the it. start, Gilbert. I've loved it. I hated the idea of it. And then I read it and I was like, ooh, bite Twist. your tongue, girl. Yeah, yeah. 
Maddie wants to know if there's any chance we can make Uncanny Spider-Man last forever. It's energetic, fun. It has great twists and character moments. Everything I want in an X book. I, f- I fully agree with the the, the content sentiment. of the book yes. is so full. Yeah, right. Yeah. It's just it's delivering on a lot of different things. Yeah. And I just I want to read it again. I want to enjoy it more. I, I woke up early today and I was like, well, I could reread some of the comics. And so this <laughs> this was top of my reread. Top of the list. This and Dark X-Men were the ones that I reread, and then I went back to sleep. <laughs> it was 6.30. Yeah, I woke up, and I was like, what are you doing at 6.30? I don't know. <laughs> I'm reading, reading comics. comics. <laughs> Vaderino calling it the best of this gigantic batch. I had so much fun reading this issue. That scene in the dark was beautifully written and Mm -hmm. perfect for both characters. Never in my life did I imagine that Kurt would make such a perfect Spider-Man. Yeah. It's interesting, too. And the idea of him making a great Spider-Man is this subconscious Banff his responsibility. You know, to to extend the metaphor of Spider-Man further... Is this the responsibility that he's ignoring? Yeah, for his, sure. His mutant culture, the the people that he's not really leaving behind, but not. But he, focusing yeah, on. it's like this idea of like, what are you escaping from? Like, right. what are you not dealing with? And so I'm sure there's inner tor- turmoil for him of like, well, I could just be a Spider Man and have fun, but there's this thing that I'm ignoring by doing that. Yeah. Barusu33 seeing the connection between Uncanny Spider-Man and X-Men Blue. Very excited for X-Men Blue and their origins. So mm-hmm. X-Men Blue will... So it's five issues and there's a one-shot that <gasps> happens in between four and five. Oh, X-Men Blue is one-shot. I thought for a hot second you were saying that X-Men Blue was five issues and I got real excited. Oh, no. Like another five issues? Yeah. No, that That's a... I think it's an oversized one-shot, but... I am excited to see, and and I don't know if I want to say concerned, but like just curious about what that all means with it. It's 40 pages. Whoa. Exciting, but whoa. And it comes out at the end of November. Hopefully it comes out on a slow week. Yeah, right, right. Warline thinks it's weird that although Nightcrawler's origins suck, that I'm not into it getting retconned in X-Men Blue. He points out that one of Claremont's plans was writing Doctor Strange was to reveal that Nightcrawler is the son of Nightmare and Mystique. I guess we don't need to be harsh on Chuck Austin when that idea existed before his time on the book. He just changed the demon from Nightmare to Azazel, which is interesting. I, I kind of feel a similar way. Like I, I hated the Draco when it initially came out, the whole Azazel story. But then there's, I, I feel weird about retconning something that has. Let me ask a question. Sure. Do we know for a fact that this is going to be a retcon or is it going to be additional information? I mean, those could be two things under different names, right? Additional I, information but, that would change your read or understanding of. But like. Okay, so a retcon is like this conversation of like who's actually Nightcrawler's father or you know what I mean? But then you have Mystique in this issue saying that she was like she was called away and something happened and blah, blah, blah. And like maybe the retcon is is more about like 
Mystique's connection to Nightcrawler and makes it seem like she was less like, I'm just going to throw my baby in the river, sure. you know? And like, and that, that's not a terrible thing to retcon. Sure, yeah. Or to clarify. Is is it retconning Azazel as Nightcrawler's father and the idea that he's trying to create all these teleporters to come to our, our Earth? Or is it retconning Mystique's detachment from Kurt? I feel like the second one. the way that she's like, where's my baby? Where's right. my baby? And he's like, this and even, is, and she's, he's flat out saying, this is, you were, you were with this count and you were whatever. And like, that feels like it's more going to be, and, and X-Men Blue is Mystique and Nightcrawler. It feels like it's going to be more about her connection to Kurt and her turmoil with losing him as a child and not so much about changing how Kurt came to be. Hmm. That's my take on it. But obviously, like, I haven't read a single solicit, so, so I yeah. know nothing. We'll see. It, it's just the article from a week or two ago, what we think we know about Nightcrawler's origin, right? Right. That was the one that I was like, okay, well, then what are you going to do? What are you doing now? Right. But I think it. I think it's more surrounding Mystique. Sure. What we think about, what we think we know about her in that situation. We shall see. Oh, this issue of Uncanny Spider-Man is called Better the Devil. Blue Streak. Written by Cy Spurrier. Art by Lee Garbett. Colors Matt Miller. Letters Joe Caramagna. VCs Joe Caramagna. Tony Daniel and Sonia Oback on that beautiful cover. I love it so much. <laughs> on to our final book. Dark X-Men. Our book of the week or... there's I, I can't decide this week, so I'm not going to choose. I'm just... I think you know, it's fifth. a it's a <laughs> it's a heavy contender between Dark X Men and Uncanny Spider Man. Mm-hmm. I'll say that it's hard to say. I think it's Dark X Men, but at the same time, I think it's Uncanny Spider Man. <laughs> so don't but trust me. But I also me. really like Miss Marvel. So it's either Dark X Men or Uncanny Spider Man. For you, we can <laughs> yeah, have yeah, a yeah, difference yeah, yeah. No, of I opinion. I know, I know, and I like poking you. <laughs> ah. Okay, Dark X Men. Oh, that this little backstory of M plate or the kind of how he came to. The, yes. The what Steve is seeding with the relationship between M plate and Azazel is really interesting. Yes, I agree. And this idea that M plate started his life on Krakoa trying for some sort of redemption, but then had this tie to Azazel that he could not escape. Yeah. I just, so all of this, we didn't really get into Medisol mm-hmm. at the last issue, but when I posted and I did some research to try to find, like, this is, she was referred to as Creep. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think she has another name here, Flourish, in a data page. I really liked this story. Yeah. It's like her creating this safe haven for the mutants who were kind of, not really left behind, but didn't have a way to access Krakoa or didn't feel that it was the safest option, especially after everything was going. Like, no, we're just trying to hide under the radar yeah. and do our thing over here. I think it's really interesting to introduce this set of mutants and then just walk away from them. Well, what I think is really interesting about this issue is that that happens. And then also uh, Callisto and the Morlocks that survived this attack from yeah. this evil angel are just like, no, no. We're all set. Like, we were like, yeah, Callisto's going to be on the Dark X-Man team. And she's like, no, the no. Morlocks are better on our own. And it's interesting because we have this 
contrast to the idea of Krakoa and then we have all of these subsets of mutants who were already felt forgotten and they were like why do you think I want to join you in the time when you're falling apart right like I'm going to stay over here and do my own thing because y'all didn't care about me when everything was sunshine and rainbows so why would I care about you now well it's interesting that it's setting up a reality where there are different sects of mutants throughout the world. Yes. Right. And to the point about the Morlocks going on their own, that last panel from Maggot where Gambit's like, all right, we got to go and go back to base. And Maggot's like, yeah, about that. Like, it sounds like he's going to stay with the Morlocks. Maggot's not coming. Right. And he has been against everything that Maddie's trying to do, which makes complete sense. And might lead to the fact that all of these people that she had are slowly disappearing is that the downfall at the end of this mm, arc. Interesting. But it's interesting because I feel like Maddie doesn't look at it as a downfall. She's like, all right, you do you. Like, right. You know, like that's it. She's been, you know, told to do so many things for so long and, and defined by other people that she has no interest in defining someone else. Mm. And, and, uh, you know, she says, like, I would never, I never force anybody to follow me. Which I think is great. Yeah. You know, Maddie for president. Yeah. I also think that, you know, uh, Faint oh, yeah. is getting some great power up story right. in this where, you know, they, they go to this world of plants and there's a gas that's omitted and Faint can cover herself up with a gas mask pretty quickly while everyone else kind of falls asleep and then she's the one who who makes it forward, right? So yeah. and and especially to so a couple of things get developed for her. Yes, Puerto Rican accent, but as that a uh, connection point and speaking in Spanish with Marisol, I think is a great mm-hmm. community connection, but then to continue to be able to to use her metamorph abilities to augment some more skills based, and then that rage out mm. at the end when she's fighting the the damp the <laughs> bamf demon. Yes, yeah, yeah. I love the the moments of when they're all passed out and we see like in each of their minds oh, their like dreams. what they're dreaming, and you know, like it's it's rough. There's like Cyclops sentinels yeah. coming for that tracks for havoc and and he's in his Goblin Prince uniform yeah yeah and we don't we don't dream if we're you know a, a robot but I love Maddie's dreams of just like yeah okay like sinister I, I'm I over it I, I faced you it's fine you guys are my demons I get it but like I have other things to do and this idea of her being able to pick the poison out of her brain while she's unconscious to be able to wake up is so cool to yeah. me. Yeah, to use her telekinetic abilities to do that. Mm-hmm. I mean, the havoc being slowly bubbling and, and yeah. seemingly falling apart because yeah. of this resurrection from Madeline. Mm-hmm. Uh, very dangerous I mean, let's talk about archangel for a second too because yikes but he is no more yeah uh, there was a, a lot of reaction to that and and to him in this title in general and how definitely bummer a, a lot of fans were like oh cool archangel's on this team we're gonna get some good Psych. archangel content and then uh it was the ultimate letdown of sorry yeah, <laughs> yeah he's not really on this team 
Yeah, that's that's a definite bummer. Um, but what I like is that there's so much happening, right? We have our situation with the Morlocks going on. Then we're going here. We want to have this conversation with this mutant who is out on the outskirts. But also the deep, deep goblin queen, Queen yeah. Goblin, and her little Banff monster are still following you. Orcus is still following you in the background. And they don't know, like where this threat comes from and yes this is a nightcrawler of a sense and we've got to deal with this but you know kind of hitting them while they're already down but yet they still just keep on fighting and then that last page tease of how they're going to play a little closer to home chasm that's yeah that's the unanswered or unplayed with plot point that I'm excited to see brought in here, especially with the Limbo Embassy. He is on the cover of issue four. Yeah. That's exciting. Yeah. It's exciting, but also scary. Yes, as it should be. Nerve wracking. Yeah. Krakoan is Goblin Queens. Ooh. And our title for this issue Desperate Measures. Darker with the Day, written by Steve Fox. Art by Jonas Schraff. Colors, Frank Martin. Letters, Clinton Coles. VCs, Clinton Coles. Steven Segovia and Raquel Rosenberg on the cover. What'd you think? I love Dark X-Men. Yeah. I think it's great. This is another one of the ones that I'm like, yeah, more please. Like, let's go. And I honestly can't really tell you or pinpoint what it is specifically about it that I like. I just love... I like the gritty, yeah. dark, yep. edgy, like roughness of it. I like that it's not sunshines and rainbows. I like that it's not, we're fighting for the good of the people. I like that it's like just, we're doing the dirty and we're going to get what we can get done. It feels like the most aware of, maybe X-Men as well, but aware of the point that we're in with the fall of X. Mm-hmm. You know, that everything is doom and gloom. Everything is is like we're back against the wall running we're trying to do what we can to save some mutants that don't want to be saved yeah they and don't the trust art. it the art is really great the art really helps in the colors like the tones and the darkness and the like yeah frank martin is an amazing colorist that really adds so much depth to the tone of the scene yeah. just the the darkness of all of these colors even in the growth of the Marisol's creation to see even even in the sunshine of the boat, but to right. like have this gloom I of mean, the like area. This page of yeah. Archangel falling apart. It that is come on. That is gorgeous. However you feel about horrifically Warren. Yes, beautiful. exactly. Reads reads calling out Maddie in Amazing Spider-Man, which we didn't mention, but she makes a third appearance this week. Ooh. Maddie and Amazing Spider-Man with her limbo embassy meeting with the mayor of New York. Oh, Luke, Luke Mr. Cage. Cage. And Ben Riley in Dark X-Men. When will Ben be free? Uh, I don't know if free is the right word, my friends. Uh, freed and or on a rampage maybe in next issue. A puppet of yet another queen, I yeah, think. Yeah, potentially. One More Summer says X-Men, Dark X-Men delivers, LOL. Mm-hmm. And it does. It does. We're here for it. Gravel Road Cosplay's favorite Fall of X book is Dark X-Men. I hope we get a bit more of the mundane day-to-day at the Limbo Embassy. Yeah, I love that. I agree. That that was a great backup snippet. Mm-hmm. And and even just in the full issue of issue one, I, that was a ton of fun. Beta Reno calling Gambit as the MVP, but also Creep and Callisto making 
interesting points. Both mm. have their own mutant communities, but enjoyed being connected to Krakoa via the gates. It would be cool to have these separate sanctuaries as a future form of Krakoa, like Creep for- Forest and the Morlock Cruise, mm. Arako, etc. All independent, but united in some way because they're mutant communities. Yeah, I feel like that's more the direction that it we're going to be going in. I would love it. And... But I also just think it's interesting for these people to to be like, you know, Krakoa had its benefits, but I'm not interested in fighting for it. Right. I'm just going to stand my stay over here. Loki Sun 22 is not enjoying Dark X-Men, especially due to their love of the character Archangel. They thought that this would be a great story for them, and it ends up turning out to be deception, especially oh. in this issue. If you come in as a huge Warren fan and yeah. then... Yeah, that's rough. Yeah, that, uh, yeah we were, were having some back and forth about Warren and uh, about just how this did not put them in a good place after reading right. what happened to their favorite character. Gleta Grafico agrees why Archangel is treated like this. Why? And yeah, it's it's sad. It's definitely... It definitely is when you think about like the rest of the O5 yeah. and like where they're at and that they're always like, let's talk about Archangel or Angel in general in the Krakoan age. We have X-Corp. And then we have this. Yeah. And that is it. Yeah. Like, er, I mean, not he, great. He was on the uh, the Orcus Forge mission, but died very quickly. Yeah. He just doesn't feel like Getting, he has the staying power that yeah. the rest of them do. And I think that that's interesting. Doesn't get a good runway. Warland wants someone to give Angel, Havoc, and Ben a break. You know, mm-hmm. not not just Angel, but there's a couple of people that are getting I'm, torn apart. I'm really hoping that something good can happen for Havoc at the end of this. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what. I don't know what like, either because he doesn't like look like he's to, in good shape. To have some sort of like metamorphosis, like fall apart into a cocoon and be reborn and the, as the phoenix or some <laughs> nonsense i don't know not yeah, the phoenix not but the you phoenix, know but yeah. in that vein bruce with 33 pointing to the look on warren's face just the sadness how can remy just do that to him but also loves that maddie accepts when mary soul says no she doesn't try to convince her but respects her choice yeah there's a lot in that yes yes uh warren it was very sad. But I feel also like Gambit wasn't like thrilled about that sure. choice. And he, just... he tried, he fought against it, right? You right. Know, he tried to do something to stop and to search within his former teammate. Like, is there anything left of you in there? No, this mm-hmm. is a last resort. I need to do this to protect the remaining surviving mutants on this boat. Yeah. And, and yeah, championing Maddie of what she's trying to do, but what she's allowing other people to do. Is really interesting. It's it, really interesting in contrast to Krakoa North, mm. and how no, like we've we've saved you, be saved. I mean, but the okay, yes, and yeah. right. So she says, I have few unshakable principles, but chief among them is that I will never force anyone to follow my will. To me, my X Men, and then she says, there are other mutants deserving. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of our aid, yes. so she's still got that Maddie sass. You right, know, right. she's like. You don't have to follow me. That's that's fine that's if you. that's your choice. It's the wrong choice. Just so you know, but that's your choice. I, I am the benevolent queen. I'll let queen. you make your choice, but it's not the right one. But yeah. you're free to make that mistake if you'd like to. Doggy paddling, confirming the details. Gambit killed Warren, right? And Alex is a walking corpse. Yes, uh, yes. 
yes to both. Mm-hmm. And it seems like he's decaying, falling apart as we go. Havoc, yeah. which is really sad, really upsetting. But yeah. we'll see where it goes. I, I think it's more upsetting because of how uncertain we are with resurrection. Right. And the fact that I think what's difficult is like when Maddie's like, don't pay any attention to it, is like he doesn't really know that he died and came right, back. Right. So he's like He feels everything's great. He's like, What's happening to me? And she's like, It's fine. Just a zombie, but let's not talk about it. Yeah. That was such a such a week. That was a week. And it's funny compared to what we have next week. Oh God, what's next week? There's very few. Like I I would have preferred to a hold a little bit of yeah. Hold space. one or two of these and put them next week because we have Magneto number four. Okay. Rounding that out. Scarlet Witch number ten. Rounding that out. Okay. And X Men twenty eight. And that's it. And that's it. That's it. One Krakoan book. Right. How will you do a poll? I. Can't. There will be no poll. But your data. I know. Oh my gosh. Whoa. <laughs> I'm gonna have to Pastry, think about that for a second. Pastry Jordan was going to just vote to throw off the polls, and I was like, "Oh no, my data." Please no. Uh, well, that was fun. Until next time, old friend. Charles! Thanks so much for joining us today on the Ex-Wife Podcast. Be sure to leave us a review and tell your friends. The Ex-Wife Podcast is produced in Providence, Rhode Island by Alicia and Justin. Our music is by Quan. 